0: Up. Uh, and clear. And has signed open contract. When I laid unconscious, you spray painted me. And the Giant faced it perfectly. You slapped me. And now Luger gets down about. Oh! You humiliated me. They lured him into the ring on the premise of taking him out. What comes around.
1: About it
0: right now. The, the moment you've been waiting
1: for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Florida, and
2: welcome to WCW. So Deborah comes down, she's got a sash on, Queen of the WCW. <laughs> Very interesting. So maybe Bret Hart was right all along.
3: Again to the random wrestling review, I'm Ben Spindler, and for the second week in a row on this podcast, we are getting knee deep wading through the filth that was WCW as we cover Bash of the Beach 1997. Joining me today is old man Sam Kerry. What's that? That's,
2: that's fucking double guns, mate. That's, du- that's, that's double gunning.
3: They felt like water pistols rather than mag- <laughs> magnet. Dramatic, you got
2: to be honest. Yeah, What <laughs> yeah. exactly
3: yeah. the most dramatic of guns. Oh, all
2: right. Fire. <laughs>
3: sound effect aren't you a strong two are they? no 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 no, no. And also we have Matt Roberts today. How are you doing, Matt?
4: I'm good, gents, ready to report for duty and to wade through some filthy WCW.
3: You've taken your John Cena thing to our new level. you saluted us. And you said you were per- reporting for duty. So mm-hmm. this is almost like now, are you are you auditioning for the Marine 7? Is that what's happening? <laughs>
4: <laughs> hey, you got to embrace I? the gimmick. Why, why not? And I'm sure there's a spot open. I, I could do it.
2: I think it would be the most interesting of the set. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And that is saying something. It, it, it might <laughs> be with
2: like a really heavy Welsh accent as well. It'd be Matthew Roberts playing John Cena.
3: Playing the Marine.
2: Yeah, whoever the whatever the character's name was. What was the character's name?
3: Who's the um who's gonna be his female sidekick?
2: That's gonna be you, isn't
3: it? Oh, alright then. <laughs> kind of. I was looking for yeah. a better role than that in my debut, but that's fine. I'll take it. Yeah,
2: well unfortunately, mate. It's what happens, isn't it? Uh Right. Uh, so your name will be Sergeant John Triton. Oh, what a name. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a terrible
3: fucking name. <laughs> yeah.
2: And you'll be playing Kate Triton, Tinky. Uh I think Tommy would probably be Rome the gang leader originally played by robert patrick t 1000 i'll be anthony ray parker oh no that's his real name morgan who was in rome's crew and i reckon stephen can be joe linwood
3: <laughs> no idea who he is but fuck yeah
2: it. james can be detective van buren rome's accomplice wow that's another good one
3: john yeah. triton what a terrible fucking name that is <laughs> I can't, I can't go over how awful that name is.
2: That's Sergeant John Triton to you.
3: Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's well, right. as I do most weeks in this particular spot, I will encourage you, you, our listeners, to come and connect with us over on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and let us know you are following along with our hijinks at RWRPod UK is the place to be and we'd very much like to hear from you. So, mm. topic time. I pulled one yeah. out of the bag late, late in the day today. I realise I didn't have anything for this podcast. Oh, tinky. And then I thought, oh, this will be a tough one. This will uh, really test them. So topic this week. If you could change one thing about pro wrestling in 2022 to make it more to your liking, what would Ooh. it be? I'm going to I'm going to kind of send this out there. And having foisted this upon you out of nowhere, I'm now going to give it to you, Matt, and ask you what you would do. Look at him, his face is like, why do you have to pick me? Oh, what a terrible way to start. Mm. All oh. right. All right. The, the listeners are going to be tuning out. you got to put it over a little bit, guys. Come on. <laughs>
4: Okay, what a difficult way to start. Let let me change it to that. That, That's That's better. For a thoroughly interesting debate, but what a difficult way to kick it off. One thing. See, now, it's hard for me to think of one thing in particular because there's a lot of things that I think that I've ranted on Quite enough anyway and it it might be i might be in danger of doing the same sort of thing
3: how about how about i go then because i figured you guys might be in a bit of a bind about this and need some thinking time so i did come up with one thing as i was walking up the stairs about to log into this podcast so my thing is improved far far improved planning okay it's not very sexy it's not a very exciting thing to think about but for me it's the key thing so we've just as we're recording this gone past money in the bank and a big part of what Money in the Bank sells itself on is its surprises. Um, There's usually a surprise entrant into the Money in the Bank. There's usually a Money in the Bank cash-in, or there's a surprise at some point with the Money in the Bank cash-in. The Rumble usually relies on surprises. There's usually a surprise at WrestleMania. There's all kinds of surprises. And the reason WWE relies so heavily on their surprises is they haven't fucking planned anything. They've got no plans whatsoever. So they just lean on the, oh, there's going to be a surprise on this next show, rather than actually work a little bit to build a story, build a feud, build a match that is going to be investable by a large portion of the fan base. AEW I think have a lot of people criticize them for their really large roster. I think that's not necessarily a bad thing but they need to plan more. They need a lot more planning to go into this. The roster size they've got and the level of size they are as a promotion which is slightly less than WWE means that they don't need a star as big as Roman Reigns on the show every week. They just need a slightly less big star on the show every week and they got loads of them. They got absolutely tons of sort of guys that are sort of... Main event in AEW, but not really there and wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be at that top tier of a Roman Reigns type. And so they could use this to advantage and use their big roster to an advantage and have each wrestler only appear once every three weeks, perhaps even less with their storylines being very much confined to that once every three weeks. So maybe you've got a storyline between, I don't know, the champion John Moxley and his next challenger, let's say Adam Cole. I don't know. Don't have them on the show every week. Don't eke out a, a, a segment for them every single week let them not be on the show for a couple of weeks because you don't need them on the show every week just come back to them every now and again that way no one would get overexposed everyone would stay interested in all the different characters that are involved and as long as you gave them interesting things to do no one would be upset that you didn't have them on the show every week in fact people would be clamouring to see them far more often so for me planning is the big thing that I would like to see much more of it in wrestling in 2022 right Matt you've had plenty of time now what is your one thing? (laughs) okay you're
4: right I did manage to I uh, managed to pull something out of the air there now and it's partially inspired by uh, watching Money in the Bank over the weekend spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it yet or who are interested in the results Liv Morgan is now the new Smackdown Women's Champion
3: oh man I was gonna watch it and you <laughs> fucking ruined it oh you prick of the two things you said I haven't seen it but I wasn't that interested so it's all good and do you know
4: that that for me is in part the point so, so Liv Morgan won the money the bank and cashed in on the same night to become SmackDown Women's Champion. Fantastic. Now, My problem with this is the idea, and this is not specifically towards Liv Morgan, so I don't want people to think I'm bashing Liv Morgan specifically. The problem I have is this idea that every person on the roster gets a go with the title, whether that be the women's title, whether that be the world title. This notion that I think has really kicked in, particularly over the last couple of years, that everybody sort of quote-unquote gets a turn being the champion, now it's an unfortunate fact of life. Not everybody is the best And let's face it That's what the title is supposed to represent Whether or not it does It is another debate in and of itself But the World Championship is meant to represent The best of the best in the business And I feel that we've Really moved away from that Particularly with the the gimmicks like Money in the Bank and things like that Just to, to give somebody that chance And to give them their moment Which, okay, from what I hear Liv Morgan, as an example, is meant to be An incredibly nice person. I'm sure she works extremely hard. There there are other people. Big E is another one over the last couple of years who is loved by so many people. Is another one who I have no doubt works extremely hard. But does that mean that they're the only people on the roster who are nice and work extremely hard? Is this the criteria for what a world champion should be now? And I just think if that's where we're going with, which I do think we are, we're in a lot of trouble. So we need to move away from that and we need to go back to whoever is supposedly the best. Bottom line, if people like Liv aren't ready yet, they shouldn't be anywhere near the world title. It's, it's an
3: interesting point, Matt. I, I don't know if I entirely agree with, with the basis of your argument, though. because Only because I think back to a couple of weeks ago, we did the Ven- Vengeance 2005. At the time, there were two world champions. Now, there is only one main world champion in WWE these days because Roman Reigns is the unified, universal world WWE altogether, mid-Atlantic, intercontinental, <laughs> super <laughs> champion. But there was two then and during that period We had all kinds of like, I mean, I call that period. I'm talking 2005 right the way through to maybe 2010. It all kinds of champions. Jack Swagger won the World Championship. Mark Henry's won it. Kane's won it. Dolph Ziggler won it a couple of times, I think. Jeff Hardy, Edge, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, loads and loads and loads and loads of people won it over that over that period. I don't think we're seeing as many champions anymore. I think maybe the title is getting less repeat champions than it once did. But I don't think we're seeing as many title changes or as many champions as you we once were, and especially when you consider Roman Reigns' title reign has been going on for over 600 days. Um, it's one of the longest title reigns since the days of Ho- you know, Hogan's first title reign and Bruno Sammartino. So I don't I don't entirely agree with the premise. I think on the women's side, you're probably right. It's a little bit more, here you go, it's your turn now. And my point would be, in, for all of this, whatever the case is, even if it was the same back in 2005 and even before that, it's still not right. There should still be less champions. And uh, if everybody is a champion, then no one's a champion. Ooh.
2: How very profound. <laughs> I'm along the same lines. So my thing would be you need to build towards it. So like we covered WrestleMania 10 and that was the culmination of Bret Hart working his way up to that thing. WrestleMania uh, 13. 13? With Shawn Michaels? Or 12?
3: 12 was with Michaels, Austin. Was yeah, there. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, 12 with Michaels and then 13 with Austin. And you've got these things where they build up and they, they I think, are kind of like edging towards what Matt was saying. Like, I'll put those hard yards in. You've got to go through the belts. I know it's hard now because there's so many (laughs) belts to go through them. So you don't just go like, if you're a tag team guy, you go tag team intercontinental and then you go to the world title if you're at that level. I mean, if Ted DiBiase was wrestling now or Kurt Hennig, God rest his soul, they'd both be 15-time world champions (laughs) because they were absolutely great. But because they were around when Hogan was around, they were never going to be that level. And I just like, like, I watched money in the bank oddly I just felt it in me bones and I got to be honest I thoroughly enjoyed it and the thing with the Liv Morgan thing I think is 100% correct I think that she is from what I understand incredibly deserving of getting that little nudge but I think because of everything that's gone before it, I think it's so devalued. And everyone's going, you deserve it. She does deserve it, probably. But they did this with Naomi years ago when she won her first title. This is another person We'd worked her fucking bollocks off for about eight or nine years to get to that point, but it felt like they were handing them the title to go there. You go, you've got it now. And their rumblings are that like Liv Morgan's gonna fight Ronda Rousey at SummerSlam. That's only going one way, isn't it? Let's be honest. But there's no. I hope so. yeah well also if it doesn't if rosie doesn't win then fucking make it something because they i thought they did the the cashing quite well but it was a little bit fluky as well but i quite liked it because ronda rousey they portray her as the baddest woman on the planet so if she couldn't come in live morgan couldn't come in and hit a move and then be done but i think that's also the 50 50 booking isn't it of this whole thing that i think we're all talking about is that there's no there's no commitment they have major commitment issues I think (laughs) unless you're Roman Reigns and what I find as well is there's no there's no chase anymore there's no excitement I know Drew McIntyre was probably the last guy and it was kind of whipped away from him because of the pandemic that happened so he ended up winning the title off Brock Lesnar in the performance center at Wrestlemania but that was like the last time that they properly built to something and it felt like they were going that way with Cody before he got injured but two people in three years like really like you should be frothing at the girls when we talked about WrestleMania 10 me and tinky were almost in tears talking about <laughs> it because it was so beautifully done and it was just this build where they'd gone through it and it was just brilliantly done and now it's just kind of yeah just kind of so i think i'm kind of with both of you like you said Tinky, there's no planning there's no like right we're going to get to mania to get to this and then you're going to win the title. Like they did, the one thing, actually, I'm going to go back on myself a little. The one thing that they did very well was Bianca Belair. Because when she lost the title at SummerSlam, everyone lost their shit. She kind of went away and then when she won it at Amania, it was amazing. It was a proper moment.
4: It was the, one of the matches one, of the night as well, to be honest.
2: Yeah. The one problem was, was that it was buried in the card. So this moment was kind of not, what it should be i know not everyone can main event especially when you've got austin one night and then you've got lesnar and reigns another night but just give me something i think that's all i want tell you what i want tiki you said you changed something give me something (laughs) something to something that i can latch on to and i quite enjoyed money in the bank as just a show but I enjoyed the Liv Morgan cash-in, but I would have enjoyed it a hell of a lot more if it wasn't so fucking signposted because it was the only title match.
3: I think for me, if the, the way I'd to kind of sum up the reason why I didn't watch money in the bank the reason why I don't watch WWE much at all the reason why I don't watch AEW much at all at the moment is that I don't believe that what I'm watching now will have any consequence in three months time or six months time I don't believe it will make any difference I don't believe that if I watch Raw and I saw somebody get a fluke victory over someone else that that would make any difference to either of those two wrestlers in the long run you know like I can't imagine watching something where they did on Raw in 1993 for example when there were one 2 free kid beat Razor Ramon that became the very basis for the one 2 Free kids character it became the reason Razor Ramon ended up turning babyface it had really long-term repercussions for both of those two people and for the, the, the promotion as a whole because they were basically both sort of mid-card upper mid-card guys I don't have any faith that anything I watch on WWE or AEW television right now will have any long-term repercussions for the future and that's why I have no interest in watching it because what's the point if that's if that's the case what is the point
2: yeah it was very i don't know what how matt felt about money in the bank but like i i enjoyed it but it felt very throwaway and you've got theory one, the men's money in the bank and matt those people can't see matt shaking his head and he's right because he's nowhere i know they've now got a year if they want to use it but they won't no. but It just seems so, it seems so shotgun.
3: It's not even hard, though. This is the thing. It's not even hard. All they have to do at a certain point is identify one or two people Mm. that they want to push and they're going to commit to over the course of the next 12 months. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that at 12 months time they're going to give them the title or in 12 Mm. months time they're going to stop pushing them. It just means that for 12 months they're going to see what happens. Let it play out. Always book them strong. Always book them to look like they're progressing. Even when they lose, give them an hour or have them against somebody that's perhaps a higher person than them in the hierarchy, if you like. So maybe let's say it's Austin Theory you're talking about and you've planned to push him. He has a match against Randy Orton. Maybe he loses against Randy Orton, but he looks competitive in the match. That's fine, too. But always make sure that they're in that kind of scenario. You don't have to do it for everyone on the roster. I accept you can't do it for everyone else. So that would be really, really complex. Well, you could do it, but WWE would never do it because it takes too much work. But you could do it for just a couple of people and just make sure that whenever you're going to put them on screen, you go, hang on. Does this match with our goals for this person, which is to always ensure mm-hmm. that they're kept into a place where they're moving forward? They're going they're continuing to be pushed up the car. And it's not hard. They've done it for years. I don't know why they can't do it anymore.
2: No. I think they just um they just jump the gun, don't they? That's what they do, they just get so excited. <laughs> well think. also
3: they get so excited and bored at the same time. Yeah They yeah. get excited and then they go, Oh, I'm bored of it now, I'm gonna move on, do something it's, else. It's a new toy for them to play with, isn't it? That, that yeah. that's all it is. That that's what Theory is. There's
4: so many things wrong. I mean, the the fact that he's just one name now as well. Theory, just what a <laughs> stupid name. I I can't tell you how much I hate that name. If I were to say to somebody though, know, talking to a non-wrestling fan, hey, if you're this really cool superstar, he's called Theory. Who the Fuck is called theory.
3: I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna stick up a theory, but I am gonna argue that that's probably always been the case. I mean, I've often thought about Triple H as a name and been like, that's fucking shit. That's a fucking shit. Think about what that name actually is to someone who doesn't watch wrestling. Triple H, and he's like one of the best ever. What?
4: Do you know I, that that I know far more people who know and think of that as a cool name
3: theory no i, I think <laughs> that's just because they're wrestling fans this is this is a ridiculous name it's a ridiculous it, <laughs> it's it's really ultimately theory will be a good name if they present him and he becomes someone who feels important it won't matter what his name is ultimately i don't see any reason why they get to get rid of his first name though it's a bit silly but you know never mind anyhow let's move on to today's show that we're covering shall we oh, because we yes. are today this is going to be interesting because i had i had fears all week that someone' was going to watch the wrong show today so so I am going to just check with you two that we are indeed reviewing WCW Bash at the Beach
2: 1997.
3: We are indeed. <laughs> Thank God for that. Only because last week we uh, did a Great American Bash and I thought oh, both bashes could be a could be a problem. Mm. Um, but wasn't. So it was all good. So what were our expectations going into this one? Let's start with you all, man. What were you expecting? Honestly? Yeah. I honestly.
2: thought this was going to be fucking awful. I thought this was going to be nwo all over the shop this fucking shit nwo wcw thing that i never got at the time (laughs) don't care about I was expecting that and I was expect I was expecting it to be sold out level and I wasn't expecting it to be as bad as the show that you boys covered last week by all accounts. But yeah, I was expecting this to be fucking dreadful. <laughs> Matt
4: <laughs> mostly just a very NWO heavy show. And, and, and again for me a lot of this is sort of new territory, so I, I'd never seen the show before. Um I, I've only seen bits and pieces of the NWO here and there. Um obviously here this story and everything, so um, I was quite looking forward to this, um, it, it sounded fascinating.
3: I was somewhere between the two of you, so I had a little bit of trepidation here, because obviously, as old, I think Old Man's concern is probably mainly coming from sold out 1997, which we covered in our second episode ever, and it's still to this day one of the lowest rated shows we've ever covered, but I was like, they can't, they weren't all that bad, I'm certain, and the thing about the WWE roster is, at this time is it's packed full of very good wrestlers, it's just, I was never very convinced or confident that they would book those wrestlers in ways that would accentuate the positives of those wrestlers um, and put them in matches with people that mattered or people that fit their style, basically. And so I was a bit like, I'm not sure what we're going to get here. It could be good. It could be very bad. And I'm not sure where how often WWE really hit the very good end of that spectrum because they were owned. By a television network, they were very much more centered around their television program. So the pay-per-views were much more. I've always found to be a kind of afterthought. There always seems to be lots of nondescript, non-advertised, non-storyline-based matches on the pay-per-views, and I'm like, why? Like you've got month, you've got loads and loads of television time. Why are you never, why are you never prepared seemingly to have a pay-per-view? So I was kind of, without all that going on in my mind, I was like, this could be really bad. It might be all right. But I was, I was concerned that it wasn't going to be very good. Mm-hmm. Let's see yeah. how it all pans
2: out, shall we? Oh, yes.
3: So, talking points. What do we want to pull out of Bachelor Beach 1997? Um, why don't we start with you, Armand? What's your talking point?
2: Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's the obvious... I don't really want to go for You the never obvious. go with the
3: obvious. You never go with the obvious. No, even no,
2: though, well, even though, can I just say, even though that was the
3: whole point, the design behind doing the talking, yeah. board, to pull out the big things straight away. Oh man's it like, now. Nah, I'm going to go for the, the guy who was backstage chatting to fucking Buff Bagwell <laughs> in the background of another shop for a second.
2: I'll tell you what, Buff Bagwell sorely missed on this card. <laughs> but, but that goes for every card ever. Now, the reason why is because we've got a second half to do yet and we don't want to blow our load in the, first half because that's happened to the best of us hasn't it so i'm gonna go oh see you kind of touched on this tinky <laughs> but so mine is a, a general point about the whole show and the bar the main event i have got no idea why what well, to be actually you know i include the main event in this as well i have no idea why anyone is fighting the other person in the ring we've got a retirement match i've no idea why they're fighting we've got a US title match, that makes sense. It's for a title. We've got a singles match between Piper and Flair. Don't know why they're fighting. No, <laughs> no idea, like literally no idea. Jericho Ultimo Dragon, again, it's for a title. It's for the Cruiserweight Championship, makes sense. There's the Steiner brothers fighting the Great Muta and Masahiro Chumu. I mean, they pretty much say on commentary, yeah, this has been thrown together. And there's a six-person tag match with some loot stores. Again, I don't know. There's nothing... Kind of feeds into what we were talking about. Like, I need something. something. I need something. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a load of shit. Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan, who fight in the retirement match, could have been fighting because... Chris Benoit blew off in Kevin O'Sullivan's face.
3: <laughs> in fact, I think that's what happened. I?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, I think I think it was actually uh, Chris Benoit stealing his wife, probably. But there's no video packages in this at all, which at the time, it's not... not the, oh, it's 97. I'm probably, probably being kind. It probably should be, or at least some backstory from the commentators. But it's such a... It feels like such a hollow existence, this show, because there's nothing. And this isn't my view on the actual show as we go through it, but. When I looked, thought about it afterwards, I was like, oh, there's just nothing to not even get your teeth into. I didn't even, like, didn't even get my fingernails like, like, just brushing over them at all. It's just really yeah, hollow. That's the so, best word I can think.
3: So I'm going to slightly contradict what I said in the opening, um, my expectations a little bit, just because for, to talk about this show, I think there's two reasons why that's the case. The first one is that they don't do any work to recap what's happened. Before no. so there's no like Kevin Tunnel and Chris Benoit is the best example Of this where basically there is a story There obviously is they're having a career about other. Mm-hmm. There's bad blood they talk about how much they hate each other But we don't know why because they haven't told us Now admittedly when people are watching it And have bought the pay-per-view and have turned up Bought the ticket they mm-hmm. know what's going on so they don't yeah. need that background but we really could do with it and I think it's perhaps one thing that WWE do really well throughout their history and it is important because at some point you're going to sell this on VHS you're going to sell this mm-hmm. on DVD and so just for that reason it does help if you've got that background so that you know you know where this is in their story so that's one thing why it feels like there's not a lot hanging off this the other thing I think is that WWE at this time very much did and were able to live off the fact that the NWO storyline was there just chugging away in the background. So you could have mm. any match between any WCW guy and any mm. NWO guy and it be part of a very much wider storyline. So that's the other side of it, I would say, is that those are the two reasons I would argue perhaps that's happening here. But it definitely if you're coming at it cold and you don't know the history, mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on. It is a bit of a like, well, why is anyone fighting anybody? Mm. Did you want to go into then, seeing as it's kind of linked to this, the Chris Benoit Kevin Sullivan match?
2: Yeah, let's get into that classic.
3: So Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit face each other in a retirement match which goes for 13 minutes or just over 13 minutes. This one uh, has a bit of a busy ending, so forgive me if I get any of this wrong. Effectively, what happens is that Kevin Sullivan is attacked, turned on by his corner person, Jacqueline, and uh, we don't know why, I didn't really understand why, she hits him with, with a big old wooden chair. Benoit then hits a flying headbutt for the pin. After the match, Jimmy Hart, who is the manager of kevin sullivan apparently tells sullivan that he let everyone down and sullivan then pushes him over now oh man you were talking about not really knowing why the match was taking place I'll give you some of the background and you may know know some of it Um, so effectively Kevin Sullivan was married in real life to a woman who is Nancy Sullivan who would then go on to be Nancy Benoit so what happened is Kevin Sullivan was the booker one of the bookers of WWE at the time he'd booked a feud between himself and Benoit and he'd booked his wife to leave him for Benoit and to sell the storyline because Kevin Sullivan was very old school he arranged for and told Benoit and Nancy Nancy Sullivan to legitimately live as if they were husband and wife because he wanted the, the kayfabe storyline to feel really real what do you know are imitating life they did actually end up having an affair and Nancy Sullivan left Kevin Sullivan for Chris Benoit and that's this feud is the culmination of that this match sorry, is the culmination of that feud which actually included that very real issue that was going on and it was actually just to build on that a bit more one of the main reasons why in 2000 Chris Benoit left W. CW because Kevin Sullivan was put back in charge of the booking team when Vince Russo was removed the first time around and was very concerned about the fact that Kevin Sullivan was now going to be in control of his career despite the fact that Benoit had just won the WCW world title so Hawk actually a very very significant match yes. and feud this but you wouldn't know any of it if you just watched the show it's a shame.
2: Th- that's the thing this is the one match where I did know I knew that stuff was going mm. on but I was so disappointed you've got Bobby Heenan, Tony Schiavone, and Dusty Rhodes. To be honest, honest, I'm not expecting him to fill in the blanks because I don't think he knows what's going on. And he obviously does, but he's just blurting noises out. The match itself, So, walking down to the ring, old Kevin soul and Jacqueline and Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart, no megaphone, that's the point. (laughs) He is a megaphone, that's all he is. He didn't have a funky jacket, either, did he? No, he did, which my man was fucking fuming about. And he wasn't air thrusting either with his back to the camera for an (laughs) uncomfortably long time. A bit strange, but yeah. So, Kevin Sullivan tries to hold Jacqueline's hand a couple of times. And Jacqueline pulls away both times, and she's, like, narked off. And it's like, I already know how this is ending. (laughs) Like, immediately that happened. And I even wrote down, I put, prediction, Jacqueline turns on Kevin Sullivan. She bloody does, you know. One thing I will say about this match is that it starts off as it should. It's just this mad brawl. And they're fighting all around the arena. They're pulling barricades out for some reason. Jacqueline gets thrown into Kevin Sullivan at one point which kind of made me laugh and then kind of made me think I was like it's weird isn't it okay, especially because the way she's thrown she's thrown in what could, could be described in quite a sexual way
3: she, she's thrown fanny first into his face <laughs>
2: Yes. yes. (laughs) I was going to say crotch first, but yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then they they go onto the stage. So there's a lovely stage. Tommy's favourite thing about these WCW shows (laughs) is the stage. So it's set up like a beach. Not a beach I want to go to because there's a lot of people there just watching you (laughs) as you're just sat on this beach. But Jimmy Hart just climbs up on like the lifeguard's chair and then Kevin Sullivan gets thrown into the lifeguard's chair and it falls over. I'm like, why did he do that? And I notice Kevin Sullivan, I keep wanting to call him Kevin O'Sullivan. I don't know why. And then Kevin O'Sullivan. <laughs> oh yeah, <you> big bollocks. <laughs> he bends over, and I notice he's got these tan lines. Oh, father. Oh, they're terrible. They're terrible. You could almost see his bollocks as well. But so there's also there's a very confused, hill face dynamic in this match. I still don't really know who was who. I know there was in the horseman. She comes out to the incredible guitar music. which is just like a man having sex with a guitar basically, for about three minutes and then uh kevin sullivan comes down like i said trying to basically grab a woman who doesn't want to be grabbed and he's with jimmy Hart, who's not got a megaphone. so i'm like well he's a heel who's a heel who's a face don't know don't care either this is the trouble and then there are some covers in the ring someone puts their foot on the rope and the referee does a rope break and it's like well there's no dq there's no rules what are you doing you fucking idiot and then there's the cross face spot that goes on for bloody ages. It was reminiscent of John Laurinaitis in the STF with John Cena where he's like doing the countdown and then Jacqueline hits Kevin Sullivan with a, a wooden chair which I kind of appreciate the visual for I must say because it kind of explodes on his hair which is quite nice. But it's just crap, isn't it? It's just <laughs> So there's two problems. Like I said, don't know why they're fighting because it's not explained. And the bit with Jacqueline when they're walking down the ramp is telegraphs the end. And it's not even a good 30 minutes to get there, to be honest. I think the actual match in itself is okay. It's passable. But because of how telegraphed is it's just really poorly done so poor why why is it so poor
3: <laughs> man what did, did you what what is it so poor or did you think it wasn't so poor <laughs>
4: Well, all I can say is, here enters the polar bear. Yeah. <laughs> now, first of all, oh man, thank you very much for stealing my talking point. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
3: As soon as you saw it, I thought, oh, you right bastard. I'll tell you what, Matt, <laughs> I'll, I'll go next so you can build yourself up to a second one. I,
4: I've, I've managed to pull one out of Philly as, as a backup just in case, so it's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, that that fucking thin air's playing some work in tonight, isn't it? (laughs) This match, for me, was probably the most fascinating thing on the show. Now, in, in terms of the story itself, I was in a position where I knew a little bit about it. Having watched the Chris Benoit DVD many years ago when it came out and this was partially discovered on there. And I found it fascinating then and I still did now. So I had a bit of an idea of what was going on. So that was quite useful. The bit for me that I found particularly fascinated by this match is the fact that they beat the piss out of each other. Now... I can't remember the last time watching any of these shows that we've done. I can remember two guys working quite as stiff as this. For me, this really made me sit up and take note almost straight away. It, it was one of those moments where the match kicked in and I was like, oh shit, right, okay, here we go. Because they immediately started beating the piss out of each other and continued to do so for the duration of the match. Now, in terms of the quality of it, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't the, the sort of best match you've ever seen or anything like that. But it felt personal and almost to the point of, I, I you know, I'll admit I wasn't quite sure is it personal in the sense of is this pure storyline and they say let's just go a little bit harder at each other or is this you know legit these two guys are pissed at each other and they're gonna fucking take liberty liberties in the middle of the ring so that really made it quite interesting for me so the the fact that they went at it that much i mean it was great i mean the the, the sort of the whole thing with, with jackie turning on him yeah okay i was like okay well that, what's that about but like t- towards the start when they were messing around with the guard rail and like they really were whipping each other into that thing, and it, it just it, it stood out for me more than almost anything else on the show, just for pure intensity alone. And not that I want to put any praise, um, for obvious reasons, on onto Chris Benoit, but my God, that that was a guy who knew how to work an intense physical style.
2: I feel like in the contest that you're talking about, you're okay to give Benoit his flowers. We've done that. We're not condoning what happened in any way, shape or form. If anyone is listening thinks they are, that's their own fucking agenda to be honest. Yeah, so I won't worry too much about praising, praising his in-ring stuff. If you praise his murdering, that would be very different.
4: Did, did, you know, you know what will end up happening. There'll be some absolute crazy loon will start saying Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame again and yeah. I think, oh, fuck off, man, come on. But yeah, <laughs> like I said, yeah, in two- In terms of context of this, as as, you know, working in this match, yeah, this was good.
3: I'm going to be on the side of the polar bear on this one. I thought this was really quite decent. I really quite enjoyed it. There was something really fascinating about it, but I wasn't I wasn't so caught up in the oh they're really being stiff and oh is this really personal? I just thoroughly thought it was a very personal match in terms of the way they played it and I thought, yeah, I think this is really good. Maybe I was watching it with the benefit of really knowing that story a bit better, although I was a bit confused as to why the why the woman wasn't there at all. But overall I thought it was really decent. It felt like it was important. The fans definitely Made it feel important. I loved all the shit when they went into the uh, over onto the stage and into the beach. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was just chaotic. I love the fact this is a no disqualification match and I love the fact that they don't stand on ceremony here. Kevin Sullivan's like, now nah, fuck this. If it's no disqualification, I'm going to have my two guys down with me, help me beat this mm. guy up. Why wouldn't I? Right from the start as well, not just when I need to, when I'm desperate. No, I'm just going to have them help me all the way through. And you know what? I thought if you're going to allow into outside interference as part of a no disqualification, then that's what what you would do if you've got some mates you would get them out there why the four horsemen didn't come to help ben why i don't know but ultimately i like that element too so for me this was a really decent little match i think the same as well as you matt that it is not the best match you'll ever see but perfectly decent for a mid card match in, in the middle of this show it's probably the first match that's got any element of that personal storyline that personal element to it. And it was really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I am on the polar bear side. I can't believe it. It's crazy. <laughs> God,
4: stop the press. You'd never hear that and and probably never will again.
3: We'll see. We'll see. Who knows? So, yeah, fascinating. My talking point is going to be about the main event and it's going to be just how over the NWR NWR, and how hot this whole thing fucking is. Mm -hmm. So I get to the main event. There is over, I think, just over half an hour left on the the clock of the show to go. And I know what the main event is. It's Lex Luger and the Giant, the big show, against Hulk Hogan at 45 or whatever he was at the time. And Dennis Rodman, a non-wrestling basketball player. And I'm thinking, 30 minutes for this? I can't believe I'm going to have to sit through this. And don't get me wrong, the, the action wasn't great, but my fuck do those fans love this. They absolutely love every second of it. And they do in fairness, the wrestlers, a great job of keeping the intensity, keeping the heat. They delay Dennis Rodman's first interactions in the match where so when he comes in there's this big like audible sound of anticipation for him to get in there and have his bit he does a bit of nothing for a minute and then he does a hip toss on Luger and the place goes mad for it but then Luger shock beyond shock is massively popular and manages to pull out two or three hip tosses of his own and the fans go mad for that as well I was just like this is crazy I don't don't understand how they've managed it but you know for me it was again another example of Where if you want a successful wrestling promotion, actually good wrestling is not at all important to doing it. All that you have to do is get a hot product with great stars and great characters and you'll you'll manage it. And I don't think this is a great match by any means. I really don't. But given who was involved... It was very, very passable. And I could not believe that after what, I don't know how long this match goes on for. It's 22 minutes, this match. It's won by Lex Luger and the Giant when Luger manages to gets Hogan in the torture rack and Hogan submits. He then gets Rodman in the torture rack and he gets Randy Savage at ringside with Hogan and Rodman in the torture rack too. And Luger, unbelievably popular, unbelievably over, everybody's over in this match. It's, it's insane. It's an, it's an insane thing. And it's an incredible testament to what you can do if you've got a really hot product with a really over-angled storyline, whatever you want to call it. And that's what the NWA was. And it was the first time when I really felt just how phenomenally hot this storyline was. Because there's no other way this would have been a good match.
2: I agree completely. You... Took the words right out of my mouth when you finished up then. When you said that this is the first time that you can understand why it was so hot. This is exactly it for me. It's, it's just everything. It, you get buffer time. So Michael Buffer's there. He gives his little preamble, which he likes to do. So he refers to Ruger's... Ruger?
3: <laughs> Who's he? Ruger!
0: <laughs>
2: uh, Lex Ruger's Rack of doom <laughs> I was a bit like come on me but the big thing for me in this match is Hogan he puts a fucking shift in Hogan in this match so like you said Tinky he's at the start, he's pretty much taking the punishment. He's having a classic Hogan match, really. He's taking the punishment, then he gets the comeback, and then he tags in Rodman. But he's talking Rodman through everything that he's doing. He's just putting an echo shift, he taps to Luger as well. There is no reason... Hogan to be the one that taps out here you've got a non-wrestler basketball player who by all rights looks like because of his slighter build when he gets in the torture rack it looks bloody horrible as well because he's so long it looks like he's proper wrenched him he can tap him out and no one will bat an eyelid but now it's fucking hogan hogan's taking hogan's doing the job hogan's doing the job <laughs> fucking hell but yeah hogan's fucking hell mom t- he made that fucking <laughs> <cunt> tab <laughs> he got his he's, he's on his bloody massive rack but yeah Hogan's my MVP because of this Rodman is such a close second and unbelievably Luger's close as well Mm -hmm. because I think he does a cracking job in this match. The Giant is uh, greener than spinach that's just been wilted a little and then frozen. It goes really, really green then. <laughs> I think that's what we were looking for. He's
4: really green. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. Greener than the mascot for a popular sweet corn company.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh, oh.
3: <laughs> green
0: he Giant. A, yeah. And he is a
2: Green Giant. Two-time WCW Heavyweight Champion at this point. Yep. I knew... I knew he'd won it in his first match, so I knew he was a winner. When they said two time, I was like, fucking. shit in it up! And I had to wake me, mum, up again. <laughs> fucking hell, <on>, man. <laughs> this can't be a two time world champion. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought this was a great effort by everyone and that uh, it just worked. It works because the crowd, as you kind of alluded to, Tiggy. I just think it's very good. It's terrible sting running i know we've not covered the end but if that's sting then that is actually a polar bear
3: <laughs> well that's it that's it so yeah imposter sting runs out and hmm. hits one of the baby faces can't remember which one in the back with the with a baseball bat and then walks off and doesn't even interact with the nwo it's very yeah. bizarre it's obviously not sting it's so obviously not sting it's ridiculous and they don't they don't suggest that it is an imposter they just think oh it's sting what's he doing oh my god he's joined the nwo or has he we don't know really silly
2: And know then- they don't talk about it yeah yeah like, again, it doesn't feed into the end either it's r- weird no. also sting one he's he's a he's a bigger man than sting in terms of like not muscle but he's got a fucking beard the man's got a beard it's like me pretending to be matt <laughs> so <laughs> hello hello i'm matt roberts so i'm gonna whack you around the head with a stick <laughs> Tinky. is that all right
3: in fairness, though, in fairness, that stings thing, isn't it? Throwing the baseball bat around. What's Matt's thing that you need to do badly? Is it uh, is it is it come up with wrong opinions? Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> how did they know you were going there? Fuck Right. Uh,
4: Matt, Matt, what did you figure the match? Oh, well, I mean, first things first, I can't believe that I had two talking points ready and you bastards have stolen the both of them. <laughs> so that's just it. Get, get better opinions. So I know of Man to try and find a third one which I'll come up with in a minute. Do you know what? Until I mention my talking point no more fucking talking points (laughs) that's how it's going to go. Right, this match, what I wanted to talk about in terms of it was the absolute awesomeness of one Dennis Rodman who is my MVP of the night. Now I'm going to be upfront about it right from the start I did not enjoy this match. It was incredibly plodding. It was very Very slow and incredibly basic. Now, just because I didn't like it doesn't mean that the crowd didn't eat up each and every single thing that they did, and by design, by the looks of things. You know, the the fact that they were building constantly to Rodman coming in and, oh, my God, he's done a leapfrog. Crowd goes batshit. Oh, my God, he did an arm drag on next Luger. Crowd goes batshit. Every single time he did something, not only did they care, but they cared to a massive degree. And Lex Luger was very close as well to be, to potentially being my MVP of the night also. Because of how unbelievably well he sold the selling from Rodman. And how pissed off he looked every time the Rodman got the better of him. So Luger also absolutely awesome. Hogan, H- Hogan was Hogan absolutely fantastic in this match as well I, I do tend to agree with the old man in the the Giant was is kind of he's a bit of an afterthought really in this it's, I think he was there just to be just to be the large just to be the large Giant basically yeah. that, 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 that was his role, hey you're a big bastard, stand in the corner and look intimidated I'm sure you can do it, and he did oh, you, you know
2: what, I can actually oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry the Giant
4: <laughs> so even he played his role to exactly what it needed to be, like I said the, the match as a whole, I, for me, it, it was far too long. They easily kind of cut this down. It, it didn't need to be that long. But again, like I said, the, the crowd completely ate it up and loved it. I, I don't know. Like, I know that Dennis Rodman worked with him a couple of times. Was this the first time he worked with them? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 this showed because I mean, my God, was he over? Um, <laughs> you know, with the crowd, which was crazy because he I mean they, they were. Cheering like hell for him when he did his thing, and then they were back to booing him because they're thinking, oh shit, he's the heel, we're meant to boo him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, this was in terms of what it was, was good. So got to, gotta, you know, got to give them all their flowers for this.
3: For me, this is what wrestling. I, you're not going to like this, Matt, but this is what wrestling should be. This was the optimal amount of wear and tear on these guys' bodies for the absolute maximum effect. All wrestlers should be trying their best to do as little as possible and still get a reaction, and they don't do much. But what they do is phenomenally well received. It was phenomenally commercially successful. It was everything. It basically achieved everything it set out to achieve. And for that, it's if I was to score things on a much more pure basis, I'd be giving this like 10 out of 10. Because it is absolutely phenomenal from that perspective. I understand, though, we're looking at it through that critical artistic perspective if you like and if you put the mute button on this you'd be fucking bored tear to tears because it is incredibly plodding but my god they get the most out of it and also uh, there's another thing I wanted to say here so this is actually a build for Lex Luger this match more than anybody else Luger obviously makes Hogan submit Luger then would later go on to win the world title not long after this and then lose the title back to Hogan at Road Wild, oh, at the next me. pay-per-view but this was kind of Hogan's summer programme as with Luger really and so that's why Luger so over so again here you've got the NWO this super hot thing and it's Luger who's the benefit of it on the babyface side because they put him over as the main man who can challenge Hogan for the belt who would have thought that when we talked about Wrestlemania 10 and the fact that he mm-hmm. had effectively been out populared if that's a word by Bret Hart who wasn't at that point neither was really a big a huge star on the level of sort of certainly this sort of perspective WrestleMania 10 being one of the least successful commercially at uh, WrestleManias. And they don't, during this year, they barely put any world title matches on their pay-per-views. In fact, Hogan barely defends the title. He's the champion nearly the whole year. I think he defends it like four or five times, handful of times, all year. And they don't need to. They just don't need to have the title on the line in the main events of their pay-per-views. People are buying this shit no matter what they put on. And I like that. I really like the fact that they don't, they add the confidence to not put lots of world title matches. Because is such a cliche now i think nearly every major pay-per-view ends with a match for the title don't think you need to do that going back to what we're saying at the start you have some planning if you have a little bit of imagination you can you can do so much more than just constantly put the title on the line and that be your main event and i just again i like to hear i like the gumption to just say no we're just going to give you a tag team match it ultimately actually means nothing it like it doesn't actually mean anything there's nothing on the line There's no number one contendership on the line. It's not like there's a tag team bet involved. Yes, Dennis Rodman's there, but there's nothing on the line. But, my God, fans are into it. They're invested, and it's Mm. very... Very interesting, very interesting indeed. So, Matt, finally, we come to you and uh, your third choice talking point. What have we got? (laughs) Uh, I I apologise in advance if it sounds like I've had to scramble
4: to death to try and find a third one. But believe it or not, I did. But in hindsight, I'm actually kind of glad that I picked this one because it's going to be quite uh, interesting compared to what we've literally just talked about. My sort of talking point is the Lucha six-man tag, which for me was the match of the night. You may be surprised to hear. And as we've talked about before, that that does tend to be my sort of style of wrestling in for the most part. I say I say for the most part, in terms of what I tend to look for. That's the type of thing I quite enjoy more than anything else. Now, that being said, I again I, I thought this match was absolutely fantastic. However, I felt it was a little bit too much. It was it was a little bit overindulgent. Okay, there were some amazingly good. High spots in there, some really good, you know, sort of dives over the top and things like that, which were absolutely spectacular. And I apologize in advance because it was so fast paced. I didn't have a chance to take out anybody's names. I'm sure it was Juventud Guerrera who went so high over the top rope on one of the dives. Legit scared the crap out of me. But never seen anybody go over the top rope that high. I thought that was incredible. But yeah, th- this was one of those where I'm going to liken it to a really good dessert. <laughs> But it it was just
3: way too much. <laughs> and it was you know? and it was midway through the meal as well, which is very strange.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just if you think of this batch as a dessert and that, you know, it's really nice bowl of ice cream, but suddenly just put far too much chocolate sauce on it or strawberry sauce, <laughs> or whatever the hell you like. It was way, way too much of that now because, as we just sort of talked about in, in terms of, you know, what you said, Ben, about you know the the main event being basic and things like that, and, and it did work, you know, hundred percent, you know, for what they were set out to achieve, it worked. For me, where I tend to enjoy my pro wrestling is a bit of in between these. I think if if this if this six-man six tag and this main event somehow had a child and met in the middle, this would be the type of thing that I would typically look for mostly. But yeah, like I said, as a match I just thought it was great. If you're going to compare it to something modern of today, I think you could quite comfortably turn the TV on, watch NXT or or something like that, or you know, perhaps even AEW maybe. Um, certainly something on the indies and see almost exactly
3: that match today. So for me that really resonated And that's why It's my match of the night So I will run the match down Because you obviously Failed to take all the names So that's a big Bit of, bit of a problem
4: <laughs> too, 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 too many names There were too many names It was too fast paced Go for is it
3: It's easy mate It's to Guerrera Hector Garza And Liz Mark Jr Defeating Leparcus Akosis And Viano 4 The end comes when Hector Garza pins Viano 5 Who had, already, had replaced Viano 4 Earlier in the match After hitting a missile dropkick And a standing moonsault Oh man What did you think
2: of the match? uh, i I, I gotta be honest this ain't for me there is no selling i have so much respect for the way that these guys can move their bodies i trip going up the stairs every now and then and these (laughs) guys would jump up the stairs but this just is not it's not for me they start off quite slowly and i'm like oh this is nice mike today does a lovely explanation of the rules so he's, ours, a six man. So what happens in the luchador rules is basically if someone gets lobbed outside, goes on the floor, someone can just come into the ring. Oh, that's lovely. Well, that, Mike. Iron Mikey gets called. Yeah. They get called the professor.
3: And also that's Mike Rotunda, isn't it? Come on.
2: Yeah. It's a bit strange, I thought. That they got their mics confused. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, there is a, there's something where someone does something and then there's a pinning combination off the top rope where it looks like it's going to probably cripple someone and it doesn't. So the fact that they're still alive is great. It was by psychosis to its juventude in the top rope, rough landing. There's a springboard to the outside that Matt mentioned, which is Garza springboards up juventude and he goes horrifyingly high. That was sick. <laughs> yeah. I I'm scared of heights and I was a bit scared. Watching. Um but yeah, the rest of it just happens. I think you've summed it up quite well, Matt. It's just too much. Just too much. So just slow it down. I know you've only got ten minutes and eight seconds, but just give me just give me something where I can go, Oh, that was good. Without going, Oh, that was good. Oh no, hang on, that that was better. Was it better? I don't know. I don't on oh, board now. <laughs> bored because so I can't keep up with it. One thing I didn't like as well is older Viano 5 comes down. It's two moves done and he's pinned. I was like, oh, these fucking cunts have been lobbing themselves around for ten minutes. And you come in, take a little crossbody and a boot. The, the boot looks fucking horrible, mate. But I'm a bit like, come on, mate. What's your bollocks, eh? <laughs> I don't know. Where
3: is his bollocks? Who knows? Maybe in his mask. Maybe that's what that's for.
2: <laughs> and perhaps he got a kick in the face and he was like, my fucking bollocks! <laughs>
3: Yeah, maybe. So um, this is interesting because I don't dislike this match at all. And yet it's still, this will give you maybe a little bit of a hint to where I am on the show. It's still probably my sixth or seventh favourite match on the the show. I like it because it's the definition here, I think, of the three ring circus that people talk about when they're they're talking about wrestling. They have got all kinds of different matches going on over the course of this night, and this just fits in there. It doesn't. It's not like anything else. It's completely different. It's self contained. There's no there's no real reason for it to happen. It's an exhibition, basically, is what it is. Just a little exhibition of Lucha Libre action, the staple of Lucha Libre, which is trios matches, and the, as you said, old man, they fight to lucha rules which Mike Tenet explains beforehand. I've seen a lot of matches like this having watched a lot of Chikara, which is not, a Lucha, well, it is a Lucha Libre promotion, but it's not Mexican Lucha Libre promotion. And they're kind of, again, their hallmark is kind of, it's kind of six, is, is trios matches. The problem I have with it, though, is that it's incredibly sloppy. There's a lot of bad botched moves all over the place, completely takes you out of the over and over again. There's a couple of times where they just stood around trying to figure out where they're supposed to stand mm. for the next spot, which makes it look really, really amateur. And that, Really detracts from it, but I do like it. I think it's a really nice taster of something else on this card, which gives you all kinds of different stuff. For reference, this is the match before the Chris Benoit Kevin Sullivan match, which is just them beating the piss out of each other and then having a massive brawl all over the arena. And so I just thought I have no problem with them putting this match on here, Uh, uh, none at all. I liked it a lot, and it fit overall what I thought was a varied show overall, and in particular. Where it was in the card really for me just fit it just fit. I I got to the end of this match and I thought right what's next? I'm I'm loving this. This is this is really easy to watch show up to this point. I could have predicted that old man wasn't going to like it because it's 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 too much. I've written here a couple of times, so I've got. Uh, loads of errors by the Rudos, the bad guys. Triple suicide dive by the Technicos. Yet more mistakes between Hoovy and psychosis. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on. Too much to note. Everyone misses from the top rope. Corkscrew crossbody from the parker to the outside. Sequence of dives and something twisting crossbody something or other by Garza. And then I gave up taking notes because it was impossible. It was just impossible to take notes. Impossible to keep up with what was going on. But I, I did appreciate the, the nice exhibition. I would liken it to the old palate cleanser that we were talking about before this was a palate cleanser in a different way than perhaps you'll often see things it was like the nice little bit of difference that made everything else kind of flow early on in this show i i liked it a lot
2: i think i think that's that's a fair comment actually it's interesting you said that because i was thinking it should have come in between a couple of matches later on but i think you're probably right actually i think it would have been very much out of place and to use matt's dessert analogy so i'm eating my dessert and then we get to this bit and what's happened? Someone's put a little poo in my dessert. And I've just licked it and gone, oh no, oh no, that's not for me. I'm going to have to put that down now. That's basically what happened. the, I did go back to the freezer to get more ice cream because I knew there weren't going to be poo in that.
3: I think the analogy doesn't work because of where it is on the card. It's not a dessert. And if it is, then it's before the main course, which is really strange. And also, it's after some kind of a mousse-bouche followed by a steak, (laughs) followed by the fish course, followed by dessert, and then you go on to another main course. See,
2: I th- I actually think, so what Matt's got, so this is the fourth match on the card. So he's got the bread, he's got his starter, he's got his main and then he's got his dessert. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants a four-match card unfortunately there's six other courses after that <laughs> well that, that's it what he didn't realize is that he's in like Casimir or something
4: yeah that's a it. good he, chance you could possibly ignore the second half anyway so
3: <laughs> oh well we've, we've already done the main event so you can't ignore that it's, it's already out there it's already on the show <laughs> right let's take a break there and we'll come back in just a moment and cover the rest of bash of the beach in 1997
1: hey there's the man i wanted to see oh my look you at know, this. this man if you could accompany me this man raven has been seen recently on a two or three wcw telecasts he's here he's not affiliated as far as i know officially with world championship wrestling hi pal but raven you're here there's speculation about diamond dallas page's partner and i'm certain you could probably shed a little light on it Uh, don't mike to name me pal something it trust
0: and hate and love and fate and I don't understand social grace the human race confuse me these words I speak bring forth a world of emotions emotions of dreams lost dreams found and dreams I'll never see so it is written so it shall come to pass but the question is, will I or will I not be Diamond Dallas Page's partner? But isn't that the same question that I've been asked time and time again since my childhood? Isn't the question really, have I any dreams I'd like to sell? Quote the Raven, nevermore.
1: Wait a minute, I asked you a straight question, and you come up with this Edgar Allen Poe gibberish. Raven, I want something more. Hey, Gene. What, what, what are you doing here? No.
0: <laughs> How you doing, Gene, Gene? Dancing I'm doing very machine. Good. good. Yeah,
1: the dancing machine. Hey, what about, this, uh, what about this relationship between the two of you? Maybe you could shed a little light, Stevie Richards.
0: You know what, Gino? You have this big, big question to ask my man, Raven, about being Diamond Dallas Page's mystery partner tonight. I do. Well, I got the scoop for you. Tell him about the announcement tomorrow night.
1: Hey, wait a minute. Good God, he just cuffed him. I can't believe that. He just cuffed him. What kind of a shallow relationship is that? Treated him like a child.
3: Okay, so welcome back. Now. The Bachelor Beach starts with a video package showing Lex Luger cutting a promo on the NWO and Giant doing the same after a beating by Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman. Loads of footage from Nitro and whatnot. Our commentary team for the night, the main commentary team anyway, because Mike Tanay does join them intermittently through the show, is Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan. Schiavone suggests that tonight's main event could be the biggest match in the history of the sport. They also wonder who will be DDP's mystery partner in a tag team match that he's got coming up later later in the show we did touch on it briefly earlier but do we have any additional thoughts on this commentary team shavoni rhodes and heenan
2: i thought they were okay no better no worse that's in terms of calling the action the unforgivable thing is that they don't give any backstory to the matches i think that's unforgivable but i've been over that i don't want to get on my again Dusty rhodes just makes noises every now and then (laughs) and i don't i don't know why he's there to be honest, I don't know why he's put himself in the position.
3: Here's the big question, then, old man. Mm-hmm. Dusty Rhodes or Booker T?
2: I, I knew you were going with that. Because he doesn't talk as much, it's got to be Dusty. Yeah, it got to be. Because there were periods where I kind of forgot he was there. And then he'd just go, oh, yeah, and there's a su- suplex all the way to hell right there. And it was like, yeah, no. Nah.
3: That's a better impression than Dustin Rhodes does, as we found out from last week's Great American Bash in 1991, where he does an impression of Dusty and it's, uh, it's not good. Um, this, I mean, it's, un- it's understandable that you'd forget that Dusty was there occasionally because there are quite a few times Four commentators during parts mm. of the show, so it's not surprising that you you'd miss him.
2: I've also got a bit of respect for him because he knows his place. He knows he's not there to drive anything forward. He's just there to go, holy moly!
4: <laughs> yeah, to, to be honest, I, I agree, guys. Um, just I don't think you would have missed him if he wasn't there. Honestly, like looking back, I was thinking did he say much, or did he say anything I can really remember? No, I mean, f- for me, probably the the best commentator of the night, or the one that sticks out in my mind, was Mike Taney. Um, you know, I, I forgot to mention, and you know, during that, you know, Lucha Tag match, he was massively helpful in finding out what was going on during that, and throughout the majority of the night. So for me, Mike tenay was the was the
3: standout commentator. Yeah, that's fair. I think that is fair. And I, th- I think a lot of people probably would have agreed with you from this period at this time. I think ultimately, I think we've seen it before as well. Tanae, we Spring Stampede 99 was the one that was coming to my mind is that basically throughout the show, Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone are just fucking, just taking the piss, they don't care. They literally have checked out. And tonight is clearly doing his best to keep things on track, keep trying to call the action. Here, he's just the most, I guess, engaged of the commentators. He's just the most, I'm going to be the one who's on. And if they want to be on as well, great. But, you know, I'm going to do my job, basically. I'm going to come in here and do my job and, you know, do it the best I can. So, yeah, I'd agree with that.
2: I'd imagine he is a fantastic lover. (laughs) Because I bet that's exactly how he approaches it. Well,
3: well, well, man, you don't have to imagine because Matt can tell us from experience. What did you make of it, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) What? What? Where the fuck did that come from? Someone does protest too much, I think. Uh, (laughs)
4: Yes, everyone knows it. My secret. Me and Mike today are a couple.
3: So the opening match of the night sees Wrath and Mortis accompanied by James Vandenberg against Glacier and Ernest Miller in a nearly 10 minute opening tag team match, which ends when Glacier kicks Vandenberg, but turns around into a chain kick by Mortis. Mortis had had a chain attached to his foot by Vandenberg earlier in the match. And Mortis gets the pin. I'm going to go to Old Man first simply because... It's his boy. He's in the match. Old Adam it's Bomb is here. Boy.
2: can't believe it. can't believe the <laughs> luck. Like I said, when I look forward to this, kind of dreaded it. Then I put it on and I'm like, it's my boy. It's my boy. It's the H-Bomb himself. Now, it's very Mortal Kombat. Mm, it is. I think by design. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And it made me think of the song in the first Mortal Kombat film. Mortal Kombat (laughs) over and over again catchy yeah so my boy my boy Wrath. this match you know what it's not too bad it's absolutely by giving the talent I know I joke about Adam Bomb he's fucking shit he's not good Glacier David is. Ernest Miller if he's not sodomizing no no that was that was the Norman, Norman Smiley wasn't
3: it it was Norman Smiley
2: yeah if Ernest Miller's not sodomising Matt while well, he's getting... No, no. No, I was about, <laughs> I was about to go somewhere wow. and there was no coming back from. <laughs> I, I was about to make a joke that I, I'm not sure I really want going out on the airwaves, to be honest. The airwaves? But... You, you you think there's airwaves <laughs> involved in this? Well, yeah, there's airwaves because Matt's been grabbing stuff out of them.
3: Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Not not in the same way as he's been grabbing Mike Taney's cock and sticking it in his <laughs> mouth, though. <laughs>
4: Wow, you you guys, Do you know what? I'm just gonna oh say you guys God. are just total cuds tonight, aren't
2: you? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything, Matt. You <laughs> You
4: You're an enabler.
2: <laughs> anyway, Adam Bomb right puts on a reverse Boston crab. It does. Which is the weakest looking move I think I've ever seen. He's just holding his ankles. Poor Casio. I mean, he can barely move. He's in agony. And then uh of Mortis who's Chris Canyon isn't
3: it yeah Canyon yeah
2: yeah who better than Canyon Mortis that's who but yeah this is uh, to be honest that's the only note I've got <laughs> about the Boston because it just there's nothing to this is there there's punches there's some kicks there's a couple more punches then another punch and a couple more kicks and they basically do that for 9 minutes and 47 seconds I thought i I think that's about I, I didn't hate the finish actually I thought the finish was actually at least something
3: that's all you want, apparently, old man. Something. Yeah, just what that's it. This is probably...
2: and I wrote this down, and I don't think I'm joking. I? I think this is the best I've ever seen Adam Bond work. It's very clean, nothing exciting. It's nothing flashy, let's be honest. His it, middle name's Emmett. I mean, he's not going to be flashy, is he? But yeah, yeah. Oh, it? I'll tell you what it was, though. It was a weird way to start a card, I thought. Matt, what do you think? Was it all right? Yeah,
3: that, 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 that's probably... Yeah, OK. It, it, it was all right. Yeah. I mean,
4: it was it was neither spectacular nor really shit. <laughs> um there were some decent things going on in you. I mean, but well, one of the early things
2: that. Hey, hang on, Matt, 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 we're talking about the rest of the match and not your night of passion with Mike Taney.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you know what? I think I might leave Mike Toney on the side.
4: <laughs> anyway, leaving aside my fantastic night of uh, passion with Mike Toney, I'm sure there was something I missed at the start of this potentially where. I can't remember who it was, but somebody got a chair and kicked it into Glacier's face. Now, I don't know if that was the way the camera showed it, but I'm assuming that that would have been a disqualification. But the ref must have clearly missed it. But the way it was shot, you you couldn't even see the ref. So, But again, I'm assuming that he didn't see it. But other than that, there was some decent stuff in this. Yeah, the... The reverse Boston crab was one of the more bizarre sort of submission moves that that I've ever really seen. I mean, probably the one thing I did like about this is the how they actually made it seem important that I'm pretty sure they said Glacier had never been beaten before and mm. they made it feel important. So, bravo to them for something so early on in the show. And, you know, I I don't really know that much about Glacier. You know, Can't say he went on to be a 10-time world champion, so obviously it didn't work out too good for him, but at least they tried to make him seem relatively important, so well done for them.
3: I toyed for a little bit with making this my match of the night, I've got to be honest, because I thought it was really quite decent. Really quite decent. Strange, as you said, old man, very strange opener. Very, very strange. Hmm. Again, no, nothing. Nothing is riding on this. There's no title involved. There's no they're not even really two regular teams. I mean, and always were. But Glacier and Ernest Miller aren't really a regular team of, of any kind. But the fans were really into it. Why? I don't, I don't know why. I mean, these guys never really did much in the end. But I think it's just another example of how hot this product is. It's just ridiculous. Here they go. They've got this kind of ridiculous Mortal Kombat themed style match where Mortis and Glacier both look like parts of the Mortal Kombat kind of crew. And it's getting over in a big way. People are liking it. The match was fine it was very particular style to it as you said matt lots of kicks lots of actually old man you said there's lots of kicks lots of punches but they all seem pretty stiff they all seem they seem to land they seem like they they actually would have some impact behind them and i just thought maybe i'm going crazy but i actually really thought this was another very decent match not Nothing special. There is, I'll expand a little bit about what I said earlier on about, you know, the fact that the Lucha match, which I actually quite liked, was probably still only my seventh best match on the show. There's nothing on the show that's great at all, but this is one of a number of matches that are more than passable, more than passable. And I was very surprised when I saw this as the opener. I was like, oh God. What is what is this? Like not because I thought it was going to be terrible, but just because I was like it's going to be completely throwaway. Why why do I care about this? As it happened, it was it was pretty decent. And as I said, the fans were just so into it. The, the crowd were just so hot all the way through the show. And this was just another
2: example. So before we move on, we have had one for a while. It's time for this week's Simon faxton of the week. On May 25th, 2019, Glacier made an appearance at the debut pay-per-view for All Elite Wrestling, Double or Nothing. He took part in the Casino Battle Royale, being eliminated by MJF. Iron Faxton of the Wii. I've got a little bit. If I fa- could stop you there, Tinky. <laughs> it's time for another. Iron Faxton of the week. Uh, He, being Glacia, obviously, because he's now my new hero, uh, (laughs) auditioned unsuccessfully for a part on Walker, Texas Ranger back in 1997. Byron Faxton of the Week. I've got a
3: little uh, Byron Faxton of the Week for you, old man, um, because... You're absolutely right. You haven't done a BioRefaction of the Week for a number of weeks. I did about four last week. Though. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah, I Shit, did. I oh, so a lot. <laughs> yeah, I did loads. So, uh, you know, it's nice to hear it come back from the real originator.
2: Uh, I think that's gimmick infringement.
3: It is. But then saying that, I left your voice on all the jingles. So, oh, know. that's lovely. So after this one, after this match, backstage, DDP answers questions to people on the internet with someone, some guy doing the typing for him. We don't really hear much about this. It's so
2: weird. (laughs) It's so 1990, isn't it?
3: Yeah, definitely. Then we get match number two, which is Chris Jericho versus Ultimo Dragon for the wSw Cruiseweight Championship in a match that's just under 13 minutes. The end comes when Jericho goes for a powerbomb. Dragon reverses it into a pin, but Jer- Jericho then reverses that into another pinning combination and gets the three count. Uh, after the match, they shake hands Jericho, the winner. Uh, Matt, what did you make of this
4: one? I think you may be surprised to know that I like this one. (laughs) I I think this was uh, when I looked at um, what was it. I didn't really look in advance of what was on the card. But when I saw that this was coming up, I thought, oh, good. This should be an interesting one. Now, it was good. It's funny that you mentioned earlier, Ben, that there was quite a lot of botches in the sort of Lucha Six Man. Now, I didn't notice a lot of them because I felt it was or not that I didn't notice them, but I felt that the match was so fast paced. It didn't matter as such. It just it was gone and done in an instant before you didn't realize what had happened. They were I felt that I could recognize more botches in this one than in that one. Because there was one or two in this that I really noticed and really sort of stuck out for me. Maybe because it was a little bit slower, perhaps. I mean, it, it was still a really good match. Gotta to, gotta to give both guys credit. I was really looking forward to seeing this one because I haven't seen a lot of Ultimo Dragon before. So I was really excited to see this right off the gate. You know, there were some really good suplexes in here. There's a lot of dyes back and forth. I really miss Jericho's sort of old school powerbomb spot, um, which is great. Wish he still did it. The finish kind of came a little bit out of nowhere for me, but... It was it was still good. Like I said, quite early on, it was a lot of technically sound. It was a lot of reversals and a lot of counters. Sometimes it t- it was a little bit hard to keep up with. But yeah, this, this was um this this was a pretty good match. One one that was one of the better ones on the show.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, quite I agree with what you said, Matt. I think Tinky was nodding as well about the few missteps. There's a few little missteps in this, and they are far more noticeable. I think purely because there's only two people in there rather than six bodies just flying around for no fucking reason (laughs) are they
0: luchadors
2: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah they start off lovely interestingly they they did grow into it crowd are far less interested in this at the start than they were for the tag match Mm. like they they did grow into and i think that's also reflective of the match itself because they do start off with some chain wrestling and they're kind of like reversals and stuff like when they kick the pace up a bit yeah Pretty good stuff, this. Just not a whole lot to dislike. There's a leap by Jericho to the outside for the dropkick, which looks tremendous. But yeah, I just thought this was very nice. Just a nice little tidy little 12, 13 minutes. Nice little way to spend the time. And to be honest, lovely little way to start the card. Oddly, having said that tag match was a strange place to start, if the tag match had come after this, it would have been a fucking disaster. (laughs) So it just, it worked. They knew their shit these guys well <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am um, i
3: kind of have to agree i, I think it was a tidy 13 minute match which wasn't very tidy it's very messy but it was tidy mm. from a quality mm. perspective i was toying with giving this my match of the night uh, at one point and uh, i'm not sure i'm going to now but I, I liked it i did like it i don't know what was wrong something was wrong something was off i when i when i saw this the match is going to be the match i thought oh this could be this will be very good this will be very good it just wasn't and i don't know mm. it was it was good it was decent but it wasn't really good and uh, i don't know why i don't know what happened but they did just botch a lot there's just a lot of botches jericho misses a drop kick on the top rope at one point and ultimo dragon falls to the floor in fairness the commentators cover it very nicely they, they i think they covered it as if Ultimate Dragon was jump- jumping off to avoid the drop kick, and that's why Jericho missed, which I thought <laughs> ultimately fit perfectly, so I'm, I'm not going to argue with it too much. But then there was other botches later on, which were just a little bit more noticeable, but a very little tidy match. And, and again, like... I don't want to, I'm, we're going to talk about the next match in a second, but this match, it fits the match before really well. Like there's that tag team match. has got this own style of, you know, kicks and k- almost like karate, but like a Mortal Kombat style match, as you, as you said, old man. Then this, which is like a straight cruiserweight match, really Jericho playing a straight baby face at the time. And then after this next match, you get the lucha match. Then you get the Benoit Kevin Sullivan match. And like, it's just, really nicely varied there's just a great amount of variance in the first five matches here to the point where they're all a little bit different there's all they've got each a different reason to happen so there's some form of feud clearly between mortis and wrath and glacier and ernest miller there's a title match jericho and ultimo dragon the lucha match is a complete exhibition, there's no reason for it, but it's just an exhibition, then you've got the really personal war, but and then on top of that it's a tag team match, a singles match a tag team match, a trios match, a singles match, a no disqualification singles match it just, I just really found it kind of, if if all shows were like the first five matches on this card I would still be watching wrestling regularly because it was so varied, it didn't matter that there wasn't anything superb quality, it was just so passable it was so watchable, it was Easy to just sit down and go, oh, this is something a bit different. Don't and and not worry too much about how amazing it was. It was just such a fre- breath of fresh air. This this opening first half of the show. As I said, nothing hugely brilliant, but just everything fine. Everything just really, really quite easy to watch. Next up, Gene Oakland talks about the hotline and hypes up the who is DDP's partner of all everything.
2: I mean, being Gene is one of the great interviewers in wrestling history. Oh fucking waste. On this show. I was angry. <laughs> I was angry that the second time he's fucking flogging this fucking hotline. We already know that you ain't getting fuck all because DDPs said what a bag of shit is, basically. Oh, just don't fucking have him interview someone. Also break up the matches. Because there's a point when we get later in the card where it's just like match, 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 and it's like oh, ah, ah, ah. So that luchador match, only better. <laughs>
3: Well, on on this occasion, Gene Oakland does attempt an interview because he walks down the aisle and goes to speak to Raven, who is sat in the front row alongside Stevie Richards. He asks Raven whether he can tell him who DDP's partner is. Raven then recites a poem and gets philosophical a bit. Then Richards talks a bit, says there is an announcement that's going to happen tomorrow night on Nitro. And Raven hits Richards to stop him from talking about it. And that's the end mm-hmm. of the promo. I thought this was all right, actually, given that they're kind yeah. of introducing Raven and they're kind of making him this kind of for me as well. There's something about Raven. I've often criticized the kind of mysterious type characters in wrestling because there's nothing behind them. It's just they're mysterious and that's it. We're just expected to be content with the fact that they're mysterious and there's nothing else behind it. There's nothing but behind that initial mysteriousness about them. Raven's gimmick wasn't the same. Raven's had a lot of context, a lot of content behind it, a lot of backstory. They really, both ECW and then WCW, did some work to really establish who Raven was, what the mysteriousness was about him. It wasn't just that he was mysterious; there were reasons for it, and there was things that that meant he did, and ways in which that affected other people. And so, for me, the Raven character is an amazing character, and I I like this. I thought it was an interesting way to to introduce him someone they hadn't fully introduced at this point so something i've never been more convinced
4: of is listening to raven's promo i was thinking i bet any money bray wyatt has modeled half of his career promos off of raven that's the first thing that immediately sprung to mind i was thinking oh he's taking notes of this
3: guy i guarantee it i think raven's infinitely better than bray wyatt infinitely yeah um, and, and he was great and i agree but never mind. Didn't get didn't get to the same level as Bray Wyatt, unfortunately.
2: No no, but he also did uh Bray Wyatt didn't play Johnny Polo.
3: That's true. I mean
2: Yeah, so it was kinda of swings around about, isn't it?
3: Can't argue with that. Manager to the greatest tag team of all time, the Quebecers. Right. Next up is the Steiner brothers against Masahiro Chono and the Great Muta. It's a 11 and a half minute tag team match and it ends with what I can only call one of the most crazily dangerous moves I've ever seen in my life. Rick and Scott Steiner hit a doomsday device DDT on Muta and get the pins. So basically, Rick, I think he's on Scott's. Soldiers, or maybe on Rick's shoulders. Mm. Can't remember which one. But basically the other one, then DDT's uh, Muta off of him. And it's a float over DDT as well. It's not just a straight one. And yeah, it's it's mental. It looks fantastic, yeah. though. Uh, and that's that's the match. Old oh, man, thoughts on this one?
2: Well, to be honest, that is the match. Because <laughs> I'll be honest, we got eight minutes into this. It was like, I can't believe it's happening. We're going to get a bad Steiner Brothers match. Because just, there's just nothing, there's nothing to it. So just as the Steiners are making their entrance, there's a camera on the beach that goes towards them. It's got a little plastic ca- uh, plastic crab attached to it, and we kind of topped out. Then I was a bit like, "Well, is it going to get any better?" And it kind of doesn't. I feel like they don't they don't mesh very well these two teams. And we've seen the Steiner brothers have really good matches with teams that they don't that you don't necessarily think they're going to mesh with, and they just kind of don't really play. Especially, like I said, the first. This the first seven or eight minutes. It's just really not particularly good. Quite dull. But then they they kick kick into gear for the last few minutes. Don't no, you said to get the finish is fucking amazing, absolutely amazing. But it's really sloppy as well because Chono just stands there and watches him get covered when he could blatantly break the pin up because the timings off a little. And Chono's off a couple of times in this match. And I think. They just never really get going, but it's kind of saved by the last few minutes. And we've talked about this before loads and loads of times. That's all you need is a good last couple of minutes. This finish as well, that finisher. I'll take one of those a year and it'll blow me socks off all the time. But yeah, yeah, I thought this was all right. I thought this was OK. This is the weakest match of the car- on the card so far, I think. But everything's kind of been all right. So it's not too much of a criticism. No, I'm sorry, Steiners,
3: Yeah, yeah, you should be. You should be. So,
4: so, you know, um, I thought of you two in particular while watching this match because I, I didn't think it was that great either. And to be honest, I actually felt that you might agree on that. Um, And I know how highly you regard the Steiner Brothers. So I did feel a little bit bad for you both. But yeah, I mean... It's it, very sweet. I, I know, exactly. Um, They tried. It took a little bit too long to get going. There was a bit too much posturing earlier on, I, I found... um. Took, took him a while to get into it. When they did get into it towards the end, where Scott Steiner I felt came into his own a bit, um, it it started to get a bit better. I I, I do agree with the both of you in that that finish, bloody hell! I mean, y- you don't often see finishes like that in that in this time scale. Hell no you do see finishes like that you know you don't see stuff like that that much today i think and to the point of i had to rewind it to watch it and i I very rarely when i'm watching these shows i just like to watch them all in one go very rarely do i stop and rewind that i did because i thought what the fuck did they just do it was so inventive and so creative and you know it was so well and safely executed as well they get a round of applause for that Lovely. That was awesome. And if if it wasn't for that, this match would quietly slip away into the history books. (laughs) But that finish saved it. So fair play to them for that.
3: Yeah, I I was disappointed by this match. Uh, I thought this was going to be I thought this was going to be really decent. You know, Steiners have experience of working in Japan, so I'm sure they would have worked Chono and Muta during their stints over there at certain times. And so, I was expecting something a bit special here. i was I was thinking WSW w I've put this match on because they know these two can can these two teams can really go and have a great match, and they just didn't live up to it. I think they were they were off a step uh, for the first six, seven minutes. I thought the end was messy as well, not the very end, but the overall the last sort of two, three minutes was messy, and there was loads of stuff happening. but even within that messiness, I just really find the Steiners fun to watch. They're, like, belly-to-belly suplexing people all over the place. There's a fucking brilliant hurricane Rana from, um, I think it's Muta at one point. Steiner does the old Frankensteiner as well. It's just, and that's just an amazing move. Like, he's so big, and he still does it, and it just looks, like, devastating. So even though it was really messy and it was hard to see what was going on because they were all involved, I still love watching them because they just, I love them throwing people around. It just I find it hmm. absolutely fascinating just to watch. They I don't think I've seen a match where it's been a complete match. I it's been Just 25 or 15 minutes of a really great tag team match. All we get with them is these sort of moments, five, six minutes of really decent stuff. But it's just really fun to watch because especially for their time in American, North American mainstream pro wrestling, there was just no one who did what they did. They just were they stood out so much. And again, going back to what i'm talking about the way this show played out like this came after the jericho ultimo dragon technical cruiserweight match it came before the lucha libre trios match and this was a lot of big bollocks throwing each other around and just fit perfectly it was like oh completely different style match completely different idea completely different reason for them to have this match this was nwo versus wcw the first of the night and it Again, it was just different. It just all the just the varieties keep going back to that that variety. Those first five matches were just really fun. Really enjoyed it.
2: Who don't I love four big bollocks, eh?
3: Exactly, exactly. Especially on the same man. Magnificent. <laughs> so. Um, we then get the trios match and the Kevin mm. Sullivan-Chris Benoit matches. Before we get match number six, which is for the WWE United States Heavyweight title, it's Jeff Jarrett against Steve McMichael. Jeff Jarrett defending the belt. Steve McMichael is accompanied by Queen Deborah, his wife of the time. Uh, maybe not at the time, but certainly at some point. And uh, basically this this match ends when Queen Deborah gets up on the apron. She is cut off by the referee, but as she does that, she kind of hands seemingly maybe just gets snatched out of her hand the briefcase that she's carrying by jeff jarrett 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 then hits mongo with the case and pins his opponent to retain the title after the match jeff jarrett and deborah are together they've they hug at the end matt what did you think of this one this was
4: far and away the worst match of the night i don't, don't even need to consider the rest of the card this is what stuck out in my head as being the worst thing of the show i really didn't like this one there was really nothing to it i mean It's got to the point where Jeff Jarrett just has an insanely basic formula, which he just does not deviate from at all. He thinks it's great. He thinks the people think that it's great. I would respectfully disagree. It's just really dull. It just didn't feel like it mattered. It took them a while to get going. Like I said, there was just too much posturing going on. This was really boring. And they, do you know what? They could have taken this off the show. There was no need for it to be on there, to be honest. There there was other matches on there that served a better purpose for this. And, you know, this was an OK show. This wasn't too bad. This brings it down, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I didn't think this was very good. But I've got a couple of notes before the match. There is cracking heat on Jarrett. The crowd fucking him. They absolutely can't fucking stand the cunt, basically. That's all I could think. I was like, God, they hate him. They actually hate him. Uh, Dusty Rhodes comes out with the only thing that I can remember that he said, he said, look at that crowd. They were lined up last night. I don't think they were. (laughs) There's zero chance that they were lined up last night. There'd only six and a half thousand of them there anyway. I actually think that the major problem with this match is Steve McMichael. So we've covered him once or twice before. He's not good. He's just really not good at all like he's he's quite new to it i think at this point so i want to kind of caveat that with that but he doesn't do the basics he's got a three-point stance and then he runs him so he does a little tackle the highlight of the match is 100 percent when jarrett does that twice but the stupid thing is is jarrett who is two-thirds of the size of michael i reckon he knocks him over twice and it's like no 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 they're trying to build what michael up is this big strong guy He's getting knocked over by Jarrett It's his little, like, ripped up top. Nah. This was, as Matt said, and I knew this, as soon as I was watching it, I was like, this is going to be the worst match on the card because it's terrible, I think. It's probably fair. And the again, the finish, and we're into a little run here. So this is the second where someone is turned on someone in a row. And again, I could see it coming a mile off. At least it's only seven minutes.
3: Could you see it coming a mile off because you knew Deborah and Jeff Jarrett were together in WWE?
2: That is a possibility that did run through my head, actually. But also, as soon as she gets up on the apron, you're like, oh, yeah, cool.
3: (laughs) I agree with you. I think this probably is the worst match on the show. There's one other match which I think is, is contending with it for that crown, and we'll get to that. But I didn't hate it. And it's interesting, Matt, that you picked out Jeff Jarrett. because I'm with old man. If if this is a problem, then it's Steve McMichael's problem. As much as I dislike Jeff Jarrett, I am with you. I'm not a fan of Jeff Jarrett, and you're right. He has a formula that he sticks to and does not deviate from, and it is dull, and I do not care for it. But Steve McMichael can't wrestle. Steve McMichael is, as old man said, I think he's been wrestling for less than a year. They've only got him as a star because he used to be an NFL player. That's it. Uh, and not, not just an, an, an ex-NFL player in the way that a lot of former wrestlers are, but an actually notable former NFL player was one of Lawrence Taylor's corner men for his match at WrestleMania 11 mm. main event. It's just a bit of nothing, really. But I didn't mind it. I just thought, you know what? It's the shortest match on the show. And that's fine. And that, and, and to be honest, I don't need it to be anything. It's fine. It's done. It, I wasn't I didn't find it offensively bad or anything it was done and dusted it was okay I was actually expecting it to be worse given it was Steve michael um so yeah I'm fine with it I I didn't I didn't dislike it but you're right it's probably the worst show on, the, on the worst match on the show next up gene Jean Oakland old man you will be very very pleased to know advertises the ww hotline again <laughs> And then introduces the Road Wild video, uh, well, mm. Road Wild being their, uh, their next pay-per-view. This is their effectively their excuse for just having a big old biker rally in South Dakota, or North Dakota, one of the two. And uh, it's because Bischoff loved it. And so that's what they did. As I said before, motorbikes are WW's version of WWF's bodybuilding, pretty much. Mm. There is next up a black and white promo by Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman. Uh, It's pre-recorded. They largely talk about Daytona Beach not knowing what's going to hit it and how cool Dennis Rodman is. Hogan calls Luger a a Hogan wannabe. And this goes on forever. And I stopped taking notes
2: at that point. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that. Because I wrote, I started off, I was like, a little bit of rubbish. And then it goes painfully long. Agonizingly. Like crowbar on the testicles. (laughs) Long. Well, you're not right. talking about the wrestler crowbar on the testicles, are you? Uh, you know what? May as well. I don't know what he's up to now.
3: Could be on testicles. He
2: could be. Just constantly. Just on someone's testicles.
3: Yeah. Not not any one person. Just yeah. testicles of some yeah. kind.
2: Yeah. So, anybody know what did hit Daytona Beach?
3: <laughs> no. In fairness, given the rapturous response they get in the main event, they're probably right. <laughs> they yeah. are not going to know what's going to hit it. Yeah.
4: There's not a lot I can add to that It it went on forever the, 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 only, the only sort of positive thing I took away from it is Hogan Looked like he was having a blast He literally looked like he was on the time Of his life while doing it, so I thought, you know what Whatever
3: I bet he was having the time of his life And I bet he couldn't believe his luck That after over a decade Of being Hulk Hogan, the Hulkster, Hulkamania Playing the american hero patriot and coming to a point in his career where the wheels had fallen off the the formula wasn't really working anymore and people were booing him they were bored of his act that he happened upon arguably the hottest thing not quite he ever did in his career but this am- massively hot thing that would basically be the dominant main storyline in pro wrestling for 18 months i bet he could not believe his luck that he was in that position at this point in his career as a heel it's unbelievable really even now thinking back the, that he managed to be in that position and regardless of People might say, you know, oh, he, he jumped on something that he thought was going to be cool. Hell, it takes it takes a heck of a lot to identify that in the first place. Secondly, to then be able to gamble your legacy as a life, well, not quite career long, but certainly noted career long, baby face, biggest star in the business. You're gambling that away by turning heel on this. And then also, if it wasn't going to be cool without you, it wouldn't have been cool at all. So the fact that it is cool is partially because you're part of it. I mean, it's hard not to give him his credit for for all of that stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's one year older than Mike today. Really? Get yeah. Out. So he's he's up about your age bracket then, Matt.
4: I was gonna I literally was about to say, Mike today did not tell me that last night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he just screamed out in a moment of passion. Hogan's one year older than me. <laughs>
3: So um, next up, we get another match. It is a tag team match, another tag team match. Scott Hall and Randy Savage against Diamond Dallas Page and his mystery partner, who turns out to be Kurt Hennig. Savage and Hall are accompanied by Elizabeth, DDP and Hennig are accompanied by Kimberly. This one ends when, after DDP appears to inadvertently cause Hennig to fall out of the ring, Hennig hits DDP, then walks out on him. Hall then hits the outsider's edge on DDP, and Savage hits the elbow drop from the top for the pin. Matt, thoughts on this one? Do you know that
4: This, for me, was actually one of the disappointments of the night. I was, when I saw the sort of star power, and who was involved in this, um, I was actually expecting it to be good, and I'm even more disappointed now they look at it and now they think about it because this sort of ends the streak of Scott Hall having pretty good matches. And I'm now quite sad to say it because this wasn't up to much. Given the guys in there, I, I felt should have been a lot better. The the finish uh, kind of, I, you know, it, it kind of came out of nowhere a bit. I mean, it was a little bit clunky. Like, I'm, I'm sure, like, you know, Hennig didn't properly fall over the top rope as he was sort of meant to. And it, it kind of just looked like he was having a bit of a tantrum. Um, And it didn't look like... A full-on heel turn, and it kind of took quite a bit for the announcers to sort of keep on at it afterwards to make me think, oh, OK, it, it must be a full-on heel uh, heel turn. And I'm assuming it was. i I'm still not 100% sure. But it, it wasn't that good. DDP was probably one of one of the better things in there. Um, I felt that he started off quite aggressive actually, um, and I'm not used to seeing Page be that aggressive in the ring, so that was good. But yeah, um, it, it didn't it didn't work for me this one, and was unfortunately a disappointment.
2: Yeah, a whole lot of nothing, isn't it? This, <laughs> they start off terribly because DDP comes out with Kimberley and whilst his music's still playing, he's turning around and pointing to the entranceway for Kurt Hennig to come out. And the commentators, five minutes before, had been speculating that it'd be Kurt Hennig. It's like, fuck, fuck's sake, just fucking fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> just use your brains. Just use your brains for the people who are watching at home. Just don't mention him. You don't have to mention him. You can mention anyone else. You can mention 15 other people and have Kurt Hennig in there, but they specifically mention him on his own. And I'm like, are oh, you fucking idiots? Because then we're in the same position as we were with Jacqueline with Kevin O'Sullivan.
3: <laughs> Kevin O'Sullivan. <laughs> this new
2: Yeah. Where uh, I know he's turning on him. I wrote it down. Prediction: Hennig turns on DDP. Oh, yeah, there we go. And the match. I'm with you, Matt. I I be honest, I don't really know what kind of shape Scott Hall's in at this point in 1987. Don't really have any clue. But you've got Savage Page in there. They add some fucking dynamite together. Kurt Hennig, who, I uh, mean, no way to talk about an athlete, but he's not in the best of shape. I think that's probably being fair. And Scott Hall actually points at his belly at one point, which I thought was very mean. actually. me. Oh, you're the one probably getting him pissed and getting his bloody beer belly up. So don't you worry about that, mate. That's just nothing to this. And I must say, at this point in the card, after the last two matches i was a bit like oh this is diner death this is really diner death
3: and i was just i was just a bit disappointed i expected better this was the other match i was talking about that mm. contends for the worst match of the night for me it just isn't very good at all I'm starting to come over to the realisation that Randy Savage's run in WWE just wasn't very good at all, like he did have his feud with DDP which was playing out during this year and I think, I have only seen one of their series of matches and it was it was decent, but I wouldn't, didn't go mad for it, but you know, I'm sure week to week it was I'm sure a very very kind of exciting feud, it did carry a number of WWE pay-per-views as I said earlier on, they didn't have a lot of title matches during this year on pay-per-view, they kind of in, in many respects kept Hogan off, he, he only wrestled like a handful of occasions, so they were probably carrying quite a lot of the of the stuff but other than that I don't really think he produced much in terms of quality I mean look maybe Vince was right maybe he was got got to a point where he wasn't really uh capable of you know doing the things he'd done in the past hennig's obviously passed his best at this point scott hall i think he's all right he's he's not i don't think he's in too much of an issue at this point um and ddp is still they're still establishing him they're still establishing him as like a main event player he's not quite at that level yet but it's just not very interesting and and not it's not up to much i also think that the whole hennig turning on ddp thing it's kind of like this is hennig's thing so there's a match survivor series 1992 involves a lot of the same people. It's Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, and Ric Flair against Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect. So it's three of the same people are in it. In that match, Mr. Perfect walks out on Savage a couple of times. He comes back and helps him win in the end or helps him fight in the end. But he does walk out on him a couple of times. We saw WrestleMania 10. He turns on Lex Luger and and effectively enables Yokozuna to retain the battle against him. There's a thing in 96 that he did where he turned on somebody else. Can't remember who it was now, but he's turned on someone there. This is pretty much his thing he just turns on people and later on in this year of course he turns on the horseman so after this Mr. Hennig would go on to be part of the horseman briefly and then turn on them to join the NWO it's just what he does that's that's his thing <laughs> and so in that respect I didn't mind that part too much because I thought well you could argue that he's just the guy who doesn't get on with people very well and that's why he's walked out but I mean I was, I was reaching for anything that, <laughs> that made this um, decent because yeah it, it was a real waste real disappointment And uh, not up to much at all, which was a shame.
2: I also had, there was some fear in me at this point. So my horror that this was going to be horrendous as a card kind of dissipated that first five matches. I was like, you know what? It's going to be all right, actually. And we have these two. So Jarrett and Michael and then the tag match. Now I know what's coming after this and i'm i'm scared at this point lads. i'm right I'm, I'm worried
3: so yeah i mean so at this point we i know what's coming so we know there's two matches left we know what the main event is we, and we've already talked about it and we know that that's 20 minutes long the other match that we know is going to happen is the next one it's roddy piper against rick flair two men who had peaked probably about 15 years before this uh this show took place And it is a 13 and a half minute match and it's got quite the busy end. So let me run this through. Flair tries to hit Piper with a knuckle duster that he gets out of his his trunks. Piper, however, reverses it, grabs the, the, the knuckle duster and hits Flair with it. Steve Mongo McMichael then comes down and distracts the referee while Benoit goes for a flying headbutt, but he misses and hits Flair instead. The ref then tries to get rid of Benoit, but Mongo then jumps in the ring and tombstone pile drives to Roddy Piper. Then Flair rolls on top of Piper, but Piper kicks out. There's a big pop for the kick out and then Piper's comeback where he locks in a sleeper and wins when Flair's arm drops three times and Piper is declared the winner. Old man. Your fear was palpable beforehand. How did you feel afterwards?
2: So, DDP is barely out of the ring when Piper's music hits. And I'm like, fucking out. they're rushing this. Piper's not even reached the ring when Flair's music hits. And I'm like, fucking hell, slow down. <laughs> I want to savour this moment. These are two legends going at it. I've been looking forward to this. I don't want you bloody rushing through. Starts intense, which I enjoyed. I don't know why they're fighting, but, but yeah, I know who they are. So I'm like, you know, right, yeah, go on. <laughs> Figure four gets everyone going, especially when Piper reverses it. They're kind of going through the motions until that point. But it's all right. It's perfectly fine. I would not say I was, like, on the edge of my seat, definitely fully relaxed. But this is Piper and Flair, as you put it, Tinky, probably 15 years past their primes. They're having a very passable match. And I feel like it was, it was starting to build. It was really starting to get going. And then they get the fucking interference happens and they just take their legs out of it completely it then becomes really really sloppy because Benoit goes to hit a flying headbutt to Piper while Piper is pinning Flair the trouble is is Michael comes over to Piper before the referee can get in position so Piper has to get up and then go back down to cover him while the referee's occupied and he looks at Benoit and he's like You could jump now, mate, effectively. And it just all goes to shit. They're just off on these, like, major spots. I blame it, Michael, (laughs) just because he's not very good. He, he It's a passable tombstone, to be fair. That's the one good thing. But I just really, I felt like there was something, there was going to be something that was actually going to be pretty decent here. And with the interference, they completely cut the legs out from under them. Very surprised by the finish. But they say on commentary that he'd beat Hogan by technical submission as well. And I was like, this is 1997. I'm trying to get the fucking sleeper over there. But then I also thought, I was like, what's Piper going to do? He's not a power move guy, especially at this age. So it kind of makes sense. But I I thought for the first 11 and a half minutes, I quite enjoyed this. <laughs> you which
3: really, so was
2: really good. I'm not apologetic. I'm just really surprised that I'm saying it. I enjoyed this. And then they really, they fought themselves, I think. And I think because of what's happened in the previous three matches, where you've had three turns, I knew that something was going to, there was always going to be some shenanigans, and it was likely going to be the horsemen. I just wish they'd not got to the ring. I wish that they'd come down and something had happened. I don't know, someone had come out to help Piper or something, because I felt like, I felt like I was going to really enjoy that. And they ended up enjoying it, but not as much as I would have without the shit.
4: Matt, what did you think? I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent about this one. Good, do it. So you're going to have to forgive me in advance.
2: No forgiveness, needed.
4: <laughs> when I see Rick play on a card, I have a high expectation. And I have an expectation that, it's, that it should be very good, if not better. That's... Certainly what I've come to expect when I hear the name Ric Flair over the last however long I've been a fan for. I'm not seeing it. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't know how old he was You, As you said, Ben, probably not in his peak. That's probably a fair assumption. However, I was still under the impression, because I remember hearing it in my very early days of being a fan, that even around this time. Oh, Rick Flair is amazing. He's the best. You know, people treat him like royalty in, in wrestling circles. And I'm just not seeing it. I don't know what it is. Again, like I said, perhaps it is unfair, given that this is probably way after his peak. But on the evidence alone so far, I'm not getting it.
3: So I, I all I'll say on this point, really, is that I remember very vividly Finn Martin in Slam. his... Uh, kind of assertion is that effect was that Ric Flair's last great match was the 1992 Royal Rumble, and this is five years after that point. Now I've seen quite a bit of matches quite a few matches before that point. I've seen quite a few of his matches after that point, and I would tend to agree with that as assessment. If you watch Ric Flair during this period, his matches are just not as fast. They're not as interesting. They're not as well executed. They're not played before quite the same level of heat. Everything's just not quite as good because he's just lost the step. He's been wrestling for 20 odd years and he's just not at that level anymore. And this was a time, as we have discussed many times before, where wrestlers did age earlier than they do now you know you can watch edge who's what 50 basically and he can still go in the ring you get to 40 odd in this period and you're kind of at the point where it's very difficult to still go bret hart being the exception of course so um i think This is well after his prime years. Some would argue that his prime years were certainly the 1980s. And this is seven years after the 1980s. And some would probably even argue that his prime was before the late 80s. So, you know, you're talking a long, long time before this was his prime. But I also honestly, having watched some of the stuff from before that time, I'm still with you a little bit. I don't think he's that. I I mean, again, though, I think this is probably one of those things where we, you kind of have to go to what it was at the time that mattered, and the the star power, the the drama, the investment in winning and losing. Ric Flair being the opposite maybe to a Bruno San Martino in the sense that San Martino everyone loved. Ric Flair was supposed to be the guy who made everyone else love his opponents, if you like. So whether that be Steamboat or it be Dusty Rhodes or whoever, you know, he's he's going to make the fans love his opponent. But from a purely from a purely technical perspective, and you know what, I'm not a big fan of thinking just in those terms, but on that level, I would tend to agree with you.
4: Yeah, and then, uh, like I said, I mean, the it- I have no doubt that, that, that his prime, like as you said, likely would have been well before this. But, you know, like I said, there are so many people who I've heard referred to as the greatest of all time. And, and, you know, his name tends to come up quite a lot. These other guys, Brett Hart's name comes up quite a lot. So Michael's name comes up quite a lot. And I can see it 100 percent in what I've seen of those guys flay again i'm probably gonna have to go back and you know reassess this you know maybe seeing some of his earlier stuff but th- th- this i mean going to this match i mean th- this was a prime example of and then you said earlier old man is that we didn't know why half the guys and you know on this card were what were they fighting for this was a prime example it felt like given the star power involved of who they were i felt like i should have cared a hell of a lot more this felt like it should have been a really big deal and it and it didn't at least to me it didn't anyway the finish okay i mean <laughs> the sleeper aside. i mean that uh, okay whatever that's no not my choice of a finishing move but okay i could see why they did it when i saw that finish and i saw the piper one i thought hang on roddy piper's getting a push at this point i was thinking really because that that's how it came across it was ooh, mm. This is going to be the guy we're going to go with and this is going to be the, you know, the next title challenger. And I was thinking, really? Based on all of this? And I just felt the match was way too long for the, the two guys involved in it. They just they couldn't go at a level that perhaps they both could have in the past. I, I'm aware that they're friends. So perhaps maybe this was something that they wanted to do together. They go, ah, you know, let work with my friend and, you know, we'll have a laugh and good for them. Got paid for it. But <laughs> somebody sitting home and watching it, this really, really didn't uh, didn't do the show any favours.
3: So I've got such a weird, different opinion to both of you because I don't agree with you, Matt. I did, I enjoyed this quite a lot. But I don't agree with the way, reasons you enjoyed it, old man, because I flip it the other way around. For me, yeah, the first 10 minutes I found really dull. And then when the horseman came down, things got really exciting. And suddenly this felt like a massive deal. The pop when Piper kicks out of the tombstone is ferocious. And I was sat there kind of thinking, how is it like there's there's barely anybody on the planet that a WCW audience will cheer more than Ric Flair, especially at this point in their career. And yet Piper manages to get it. Now, Piper had been in before he was a WWF wrestler, big star in WWF, he had been a Mid-Atlantic wrestler and a babyface and a heel in Mid-Atlantic, which is obviously the base promotion for where WSW came from. So he, he did have a legacy fan base from that period. And he was also, he is, as we've said before, one of the biggest stars in the business and had been one of the biggest stars in the business for the last 15 years. I mean, he had been one of the main reasons alongside Hogan that WWF had been able to go national and, I just thought Roddy Piper is my MVP because of just how over he still was, even at this stage in his career. It's amazing. I think he was in the main event of Starrcade the previous year against Hogan. That was the main event of Starrcade. Piper in 1996 who retired for the first time in 1987, was in the main event of Starcade 1996 opposite Hogan, the hottest heel in the business at the time. He then headlined Halloween Havoc, that in 1997, again against Hogan, I think in a cage match, the match that's been referred to on WWF television as the age in the cage, but massively pu- successful really really successful pay-per-view it was the same month as WWF did Shawn michaels versus undertaker in the hell in a cell and going back to my point once more you do not need good wrestling to be a successful promotion it was far more successful commercially than Shawn michaels and undertaker in the hell in a cell uh in their pay-per-view match it's unbelievable that he was able to do it and I, I thought this was pretty decent like you said the, i think the first 10 match i found it a bit boring but it was fine it was better than I thought it was going to be. I really thought it was going to be a problem. But towards the end of the match, they just they just really ramped up. And I loved the ending. I love that he did the, the sleeper and got him to win by technical knockout. Because it was so weird and so different. And the idea that Hogan had also done this the previous year at Starcade. Hogan and Flair, the two biggest stars of the last 15 years. And both of them to do a technical knockout loss to Ric Flair in the space of a year that's mad that's just mad I, I just i found it fascinating i just found it fascinating again just it doesn't you don't need good wrestling to be successful you don't need good wrestling to make people care you don't need good wrestling to get fans off their feet they were just loving the end of this yeah just another really i just going along with everything i thought on this show I was like nothing's great nothing is great but everything is perfectly enjoyable i'm i've got apart from the previous tag match and the, the. us title match everything's fine everything's just really fine and i, I would genuinely watch a show like this now and still be like great loved it absolutely really enjoyed it if anything if it had had a 25 minute uber wrestling match i'd have probably disliked it more not because i dislike those kinds of matches but it would have just felt i don't know like over the top for what we we were going to do here and this was all about star power and this match was similar to that
2: well that's what i thought this match was going to be i thought they were going to go like 20 minutes and it would be really slow paced hmm. and they'd be like someone would be working over a knee for 13 minutes or something hmm. i love people working over a knee, but piper and flair i wouldn't want to see that but yeah start not to like
3: i think this is the difference as well between wcw at its peak and wcw when it was coming down so wcw did this same match i think middle of 99 on their trip back down in the ratings and Ultimately, at this point, it's kind of a a dream match in a different in a different way than perhaps your dream matches are these days. It's between two of the biggest stars in the business ever. They've had a feud in Mid Atlantic. They've had a feud in WWF briefly in late '91, early '92, and now they've had the feud in WW. They've revisited it. They've done it. It should not be repeated. It's it should be left in the past once you've redone it. But WWE went back to it the well again, just like they went back to Ric Flair versus Hogan again, because they just couldn't come up with new ideas. And that's where the accusation that they couldn't build new stars came from. Is because they kept putting these guys in in big matches against one another. But here it really works. Mm. One last thing I want to say about this match. Is the referee Mark Curtis? So he is real name Brian Hildebrand. He was 37 when he passed away in 1999. The reason I mention it is because he's one of the w- was within the business one of the most liked men in the business at the time. There was a there was a show that was put together for him effectively, which it was kind of before he died, a sort of tribute, almost a tribute show before he died, and it was. He managed to get wrestlers from the WWF, WCW and ECW to appear on a show together at the time when the Monday Night Wars were still absolutely raging. And the reason he was able to do it is because of all of these guys that held him in such high esteem. So he'd been a manager, he'd been a referee. He obviously was working for WCW. I think he'd previously worked for WWF. And so I just thought I'd give him a little shout out because I think he was at one point very well known. But I think over time... Because maybe WSW was where he kind of worked last and obviously WF won the war and then t- got to tell the, his- the story of the history of pro wrestling, his name's kind of slight- slightly faded over time. So I thought it was worth a, a little uh, shout out for him. He also, I will say, makes the end. So when the technical knockout happens, his hand gestures and mm. his facial expression when he does it makes the end really good. So I, was, I really like that too. Okay, so that is everything on this show because we've already covered the main event. So we are at the point where we can give our ratings out of 10 and our overall thoughts on the show. Matt, let's start with you.
0: Overall
4: thoughts of the show. Um, it was it was OK. I think, you know, probably you, you described it good already in terms of nothing was particularly great, but I don't think anything was other than the, uh, the Jeff Jarrett match. I don't think anything was particularly bad. Um, so I, I'm kind of in the middle so I've already given my MVP of the night to Mr. Dennis Rodman. Match of the Night is the Lucha Six Man Tag. And in terms of
2: a number, I'm leaning towards five out of ten. So I'm kind of struggling for a match of the night. I think I'm gonna you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it to the opener. You know what? The way that we're the way we I was really struggling. When I finished watching it, I tend to give myself just a couple of minutes just to be like, right, well I have a little thing through my head. But I was really struggling, but I think that's just a really solid little match. And it sets the tone for the rest of the card, which I largely enjoyed. So we've got the main event, sub main event, enjoyed those. Two bum notes just before those. And then everything, I enjoyed a six-man tag match, but uh, whatever. in luckily it. Luckily, it comes where it comes in the card. I'm going to give this a six, I think. Because a bit like you've said, through this whole thing, Tinky, nothing's great which I think does, in the, in this case for me, make the lows quite low because no, there's nothing great. So everything's just kind of a level. And then when you drop down that level, it's pretty much like fine to dog dirt. But yeah, I enjoyed this. I have a lot of fucking more than I thought I was going to. <laughs>
3: I'm giving this a six as well. I really enjoyed this. And contrary to what you said, old man, I actually found that because everything wasn't enough, there was nothing great. Even the lows didn't feel that low to me. It just felt like they were just, you know, Mm -hmm. just slightly, just slightly below par the rest of the show. So I said, I didn't really mind Stephen Michael, Michael, Richard, Jeff Jarrett. I could have done without the tag team match. That was a, that Mm -hmm. was a, that was a low point for me. But the rest of it was just, as I've said, varied just interesting kind of like an easy watch something you can sit back and just take in over three hours you don't have to invest yourself in it massively it's not an nxt card where you know you've got five matches it's going to last two and a half hours and you've got to sit there and you've got to hunker down and and pay attention and really kind of concentrate on it because it's so dramatic and it's so intense and it's so mama mia (laughs) Exactly, yeah. It's It's so a lot to take in. And sometimes that's fine if you're in the mood for it. And if you've got a niche audience that's in the mood for that, great. But for me, it's not a national mainstream wrestling product. It Also, if I watch WWE these days, every match feels the same. Every single match feels exactly the same. Everyone feels like they're wrestling the same style as everybody else because they've all been, as I've made this point before as well, they've all been trained by the same people. There's no one training them. as different. They haven't, this was still an era where most of the wrestlers had been to different places before they got to the national stage and they worked in different places. So obviously you've got the Lucha Libre match, which is just entirely, you know, coming from Mexico. You've got, Hogan and his style that harks back to the early eighties, Flair and Piper go even further back. You've got Jarrett who was trained in Memphis by his father, no doubt, and probably by people like Jerry Lawler got Ben Wise come out of the dungeon. You've, you've got lots of people from lots of different backgrounds who bring something different, a different perspective, a different way of doing wrestling. Whereas WWE have all been, all the people in WWE have at some point, at least been trained for a time in the performance center to work the WWE style, as opposed to just bringing those different styles and making the mesh and making a fascinating little kind of Petri dish of different wrestling styles. This is what I really liked about the show. It, It really, it really kind of just gave you a little bit of everything. If you didn't like the opener, which I did, by the way. But if you didn't, you then had Chris Chris Benoit, uh, sorry, Chris sorry Jericho and Ultimate Dragon in their kind of technical cruiserweight match. If you didn't like that technical cruiserweight match, you had the hardcore match, effectively, the no-disqualification match between Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan. If you didn't like that, you had the fast-paced Lucha Libre match. There was something for everyone, and I liked all of it <laughs> because of that. I just thought it was really decent. And on top of all that, the NWA angle is so hot, and the crowd for that main event is just Phenomenal. It's not obviously the level of Hogan Rock of WrestleMania 18, but it's that similar feeling of what they're doing. Is absolutely optimised because they don't have to do anything because they've got the fans. They're there. They're enjoying it, and they are 100% in it. So it doesn't matter what they really do. It doesn't have to be super technical, super hard, um, imp- heavy impact. Doesn't have to be super fast. It's just, it's just fine. um That's my match of the night, main event. I've been toying around with it for a while, and I could have given four or five matches my match of the night. I include the opener, include the Jericho Dr- Ultimo Dragon match. I'd include the Benoit Sullivan match in that. I'd even include Piper and Flair in that. But I think the main event is my match tonight because it just was astounding. It was astounding how much people were into it. The most astounding thing, Lex Luger is massively popular, like genuinely popular to the point where he could be the next big babyface star in WCW at the time. And I don't think I've seen the results of these shows in the past and i've been like how did wcw do it they've got lex luger in an important position in the company he's over it's massively over it's it's mad so yeah good show six out of ten would like every show to be very similar to this not necessarily in level of quality but just Mm. in terms of the variety and, and how kind of easy it was to watch i would be more than happy to watch and show more shows like this
2: more shows like WCW, Bash at the Beach, 1997, eh? Madness.
3: I didn't know. I didn't think, think I'd know.
2: ever say either. No.
3: Especially especially after NWO sold out 1997 as yeah. we covered in episode two all the way back in Feb, uh, January sorry, of, of last year. So that brings us all up to date. We've done everything we need to do for today. All that's left for me to say is thank you very much for joining us, Old Man.
2: Thank you, everybody. Right, if you remember ken Patera, but you already know that just wow. think about matt and mike tonight
3: the love story of our times yeah <laughs> and matt thank you for your contributions as well
4: thank you very much and mike tonight
3: this has been the random wrestling review we'll be back again next week but until then take care